Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by NFL Network analyst and 11-year NFL veteran Brian Baldinger as we will go around the National Football League and preview the NFL season that gets started this week with week number one. We'll get Baldy's perspective and also go inside the film room for a little Baldy's breakdown session when Baldinger joins us coming up in just a bit. Also going to have Coach Bo's football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our pigskin pick'em picks against the spread. And at the end of today's show, we'll have our Tom Fulbery story of the week as well. Thomas Bridges joins me right now, as always. Tom, how we doing as we completed the first week of college football? Now we're on to the beginning of the NFL the hardest part for me, Tom, was those two nights back-to-back where we didn't have football. That seemed like a long time, but here we are. We're here. Yeah, I know, right? And it's just like, oh, finally, you know? And and I didn't get to watch a whole lot even last week because I was DJing a wedding and doing other events. But this week I will make my Mecca trip to Stillwater. I haven't been there, and I haven't been there since November of last year. Um, and so I am, I'm getting the, the chills, you know, every day closer. And the best part about it too, Jones, the Snapchat memories are popping up um, for, you know, every other game day that I've been to. And so I'm just getting, just getting real, real excited, you know, or it's taping this on a Wednesday, but, oh, we're so close. Uh, well, I guess, I mean, we're already there, but even closer to just the thick of it, you know, uh, especially, you know, after this, we'll begin in a conference play here very soon. Um, and we'll have it raring and ready to go. Yeah, I got to tell you, last weekend, Tom, so here's what I did. You know about my setup in the Jones zone at my house. I got the two screens in my living room. So I was able to watch games two games at the same time. And then I, I, I did have to go to work, uh, worked my, uh, my normal shift at the office, you know, on TV and such. And so what we did was we have three screens in each room. And so we put a different game on each screen. And so even though I'm not covering football in person this year, I'm not going to be covering college football or the NFL for the first time in, you know, six, seven years, whatever it is, I'm probably going to end up watching more games than I ever have before with the access. So a strange turn of events of sorts uh, for yours truly, but I got to say uh, it's not too bad actually uh, with, uh, with watching all these games at the same time and such. Yeah. Jones, you actually get to sit back and uh, enjoy the games and drink a beer this season. Um, no. You get to, you get to act like the rest of us. Right. I, yeah. I'm, right. I'm not covering... Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the beauty. Right. I'm not covering high school football this year either. And someone told me, congrats on having your Fridays back. And I'm like, I I don't know how this feels because I've only worked Friday night high school football since I was like 16 years old. What what do adults do on Fridays in the fall? Like this is all all new to me. I'm going to go see uh, Machine Gun Kelly and Omaha this week. By the way, if he and Megan Fox want to go hang out afterwards, by all means, let's make it happen. Um, but that's kind of off track. With, with that being said, um, I feel like I have a new life again. What, what do I do on these weekends if not covering football? You know, you do what the rest of us do, sit back and make some game day queso or 
throw some burgers on if you're not at the game, you know, drink some beers. If you're at the game, you know, walk through tailgates, see who you know. Um, I don't know if you'll be at any uh, – I don't know if you're going to be traveling to Lincoln anytime soon, but um, that wouldn't be a bad place to start. Yeah, um, Lincoln would be a good call. I think I'm going to Manhattan at some point, and i got to go to Lawrence at some point. Um, but that's kind of all on the docket right now. Everything's kind of kind of floating as is. I would love to make it out to Kansas City as well for a uh, Chiefs game. I think I'm going to try to go to that Monday night game against the Giants at some point. Have you ever been to a Monday night football game? I have actually not been to a Monday night football game. Neither have I. That's always been on the list. So, yeah, if you could get out to that, that would be, that would be right up the alley. Right. So we're making the most of it. We're joined football season. We're grabbing it by the horns and uh, getting things started here in uh, 2021. And we're, we're going to have plenty of NFL discussion in uh, just a bit. But I do want to start with uh, the Big 12 Conference. And, uh, you know, first off, just looking back at this first week, Tom, um, you know, the Big 12 goes, what, 9-1 and one this past week? Uh, my Jayhawks did pull off that win against – uh, South Dakota, and uh, they're undefeated. So I'll enjoy it for this week until, you know, they get the uh, the crap, you know, kicked out of them against uh, Coastal Carolina this week on the road. But nonetheless, it was it was a good failing of sorts. And uh, for the rest of the Big 12, you, you had Oklahoma not looking too hot in their performance against Tulane. They did win, though. Oklahoma State without Spencer Sanders. Shane Ellingworth comes in. He did not play that well and Oklahoma State struggled to pull one off against Missouri State. You got the wins. Um, you know, Iowa State barely beats Northern Iowa. You got the win, sure, but the style points just weren't there. I mean, it was not an impressive start for the Big 12, but it was also kind of a reminder to us that we don't play preseason games in college football. These teams were, were going to be a little bit rusty. Now, uh, it feels like the real season starts here in week two and week three. Uh, if you're looking for a positive spin of some sorts, the one team out of the big 12 that looked ready from the jump was Texas. Texas takes on a top 25 team in Louisiana and they never trailed in that game. There wasn't a quarter where they were outscored by Louisiana. Sark had his team ready to go from the get go. Um, as much as we've made fun of Texas, the uh, last several years and such, and even going into this offseason, the best-looking team in the Big 12 week one was by far and away the Texas Longhorns. Is that as much as that pains me to say, Tom? Yeah, you know, they were on their they were on their shit, to be honest, and I didn't think they were going to be. Um, it'll be interesting, and we could, we'll talk about this game later <clears throat> um, when they, you know, when when they do battle this week again, um, you know, you never really can tell with Texas week to week, but maybe uh, Steve Sarkeesian will have some consistency there uh, in Austin. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up. You know, the Raging Cajuns aren't a bad team. They seem to take care of business. Uh, Oklahoma State, Missouri State, no, I mean, you know, when they let off the pressure, I don't care, you know, if it's Missouri State or if it's freaking uh, – Kawita Tigers and Bobby Petrino is uh, coaching them, you know, they're going to, they're not going to back down. Right. 
Yeah, uh, they, they were impressive. Uh, Missouri State was how they were able to compete with uh, OSU in uh, in that matchup there. The, the team that I looked at as far as, okay, now I'm, I'm so concerned. Uh, I'm concerned of sorts was Iowa State. You go into this matchup this week in Iowa. We'll talk about that in just a second, Tom. But, I mean, for them to just lay an egg like that, we know about their history of slow starts in uh, non-conference play. Um, you, you'll hear about this all week. Matt Campbell has never beat Iowa in his time at Iowa State as head coach, as impressive as that has been. It, it felt like a, a flashback of some sorts. Like we've seen this song and dance before about Iowa State and their struggles in September that uh, you know historically have been there until they get to Brocktober when things turn around. I mean, this was like the same song and about the fourth verse uh, of Iowa State, and I think it certainly should catch their fans and their players uh, by a surprise. By should be alarming of sorts heading into this week against the Cyclones, against uh, the Hawkeyes. Uh, yeah, it should be. But, you know, we talked about this. And I, I, you go back two or three weeks, and I said, told you the same thing. I didn't think it was going to be as close, uh, especially they're not there up to the end. But um, I, I thought Northern Iowa would give ISU some fits. Um, like I said, go back two, three weeks and listen. Uh, Iowa State starts slow. They always – I mean, under Matt Campbell, they do. It is concerning. Um, and last year, bit him in the ass. Um, and about bit him in the ass this year, but you know you don't get the you know luxury of not playing uh, an Iowa team that's pretty stout, um, you know this early. And so cannot start out slow this week because if yeah. they do, um, I was I was going to win this game. Um, you know I I know well, that Iowa looked Iowa great State's last favorite. week against Indiana too. Right, and Indiana's no slouch either, especially the year they had last year. I was going to come ready to play. Um, and like I said, I, Iowa State going to be a great team. I think they'll be fine. They better not start out slow this week. Right. Or they, they, might, they might screw my pick. <laughs> the team that also stood out that played really good um, you know, was K-State to me. And I know Texas Tech won against Houston. That game was close for a bit, but they pulled away in the end. Nice win uh, to go into Houston for Texas Tech, but that's a game you're supposed to win. In K-State's case, coin flip game, really, against Stanford. And K-State's defense was phenomenal. And one of the things that we talked about with the Cats, Tom, was that we were concerned about a K-State team that still had Skylar Thompson leading the way. And what we saw out of K-State was they won despite Skylar Thompson. You had Deuce Vaughn with 124 yards on the ground on just 13 carries. The defense was just terrific, shutting out Stanford through three quarters there. Uh, you know, Skylar Thompson's numbers weren't great. He was 9 of 14, 144 yards, and he threw an interception. And that just might be the story for K-State, is winning in spite of Skylar Thompson. Just try to limit his mistakes. Maybe Will Howard will get a chance to be their quarterback at some point this year. Um, but for the Cats, if, uh, if they can get about everything right, other than the quarterback position, they just might actually be okay based on what we saw last week. I mean, they controlled the whole game. I mean, it could have, I thought it was going to be goose egg. I really thought they were going to goose egg Stanford. Um, and look like Stanford, from what I could tell, off my GameCast ESPN while I was setting up for a wedding, looks like Stanford got a garbage time touchdown. Um, and yes. otherwise, I mean, K-State played 
you know, a, a damn near perfect game um, against no slouch. I'd, I'd like to see the Pac-12 haters talk, talk shit now. I mean, it's like, hey, Stanford is always, you know, for the last 10 years have been somewhat in the conversation for the Pac-12 and uh, a mid-tier Big 12 team just uh, about goose eggs you. A mid-tier um, mid Big 12 team that wasn't expected to be anything this year. Right. I mean, you know, and, and some Pac-12 people might say, well, they beat OU for the last two years. Oh, this and that. No, the game was never close. The yeah. game was never close. If you're Stanford, you, you don't walk away from that game happy with anything. You know, usually in a loss, there's a takeaway of, oh, well, we did this well. No. Uh, no, you don't get almost goose egg by a mid-tier Big 12 team when you're supposed to be upper echelon Pac-12. Right. Uh, doesn't doesn't happen. Uh, Stanford should be embarrassed. Yeah, I agree. So let's go ahead and go through this week's slate of Big 12 games. Start with uh, Iowa and Iowa State. Uh, number nine, Cyclones. Number 10, Hawkeyes. And uh, Iowa State is about a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home in this game, Tom. And, you know – we saw from Iowa State last year how well they responded after that loss to Louisiana week one and how the rest of their season played out, only losing uh, to, what was it, OSU and Oklahoma after that. Um, the rest of the way, Iowa State played a lot better football after they got that week one performance out of the way. Um, this year, you beat Northern Iowa. It wasn't pretty. You could have lost that game too, but you did win. Now you take on an Iowa team that was well-polished, that was sharp last week, that, um, you know, if you recall, Iowa was barely favored against Indiana. Indiana was the higher-ranked team. A lot of talk was about Indiana and coming off of the season they had, potentially being the second-best team in the Big Ten, only behind Ohio State. But Kirk Ferentz had his crew ready to go. And you go into Ames, this is the biggest Cy Hawk showdown maybe ever between these two schools, both of them in the top 10. A lot of pressure on Iowa State here. Um, Tom, the coaching matchup, I think, is pretty even between Campbell and Ferentz. You'd have to give the edge, though, I think, to Kirk Ferentz because of him never losing to Iowa State since Campbell's been there. If Iowa State's going to win this game, it's going to have to be on talent. They're going to have to be the more talented team, you know, use their use the better athletes that they have compared to Iowa, whether it's Kolar, Brees Hall. Brees Hall's got to step up and have a better game. Brock Purdy. I mean, we know that they have the better athletes. They just got to execute. Uh, simple as that. Yeah, you know, I like I said, they can't start out slow. They do have them at Jack Trice. I mean, you're. Uh, I wonder how much the line would change if it was at Iowa. Um, be real interesting to see how they start. I think if they have a solid first quarter, if they don't, you know, get down by, uh, you know, I could see a, a typical Iowa State fashion. I could see the end of the first quarter being 13, maybe like a 13 to three or 13 nothing Iowa. If they get that in that hole, I think they're done. So I think if you can come out in the first quarter and execute, like you said, they have better athletes, they got a better offense. If you can come out and execute well in the first quarter and set that tone, then they're fine. But if they start if they start slowing bullshit around like we know they do, I I like Iowa. If the, if the first quarter doesn't go well for Iowa State or they piddle foot around, Iowa's going to take this game. And for Iowa State, 
it, this feels like the arrival game, doesn't it? I mean, the Big 12 championship getting there. This is going to set the tone. This is going to set the tone for the whole season. Yes. This feels like the game that says Iowa State has arrived because you had them in the Big 12 title last year. College game day is going to be there this week. You got the, the 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 lead crew with Kirk Herbstreet calling the game on ABC and such. I mean, this is as big as it gets for the Cyclones. And now you got to capitalize and make a statement of some sorts. I mean, two schools from Iowa in the top 10, week two. Who would have thought, right? I mean, this is uh, crazy how far, you know, the, these programs have come that both of them can be this good at this point. I mean, for years – Kansas and Kansas State fans have argued about, okay, could both teams be relevant at the same time? And most of the answers are no, that no, you know, you can't, there's not enough talent in Kansas for both schools to be relevant. For two heartland schools in two power five conferences to be in this position, it just blows my mind, especially when you see down the road, Nebraska, as bad as they are, and, you know, they're a couple weeks away from getting, you know, their ass handed to them against Oklahoma here after losing to Illinois and losing to UTSA the next week. It, it is bizarre to see that, uh, that, this is, that this situation unfolds here. But this is why we love college football. It's for these type of matchups, Iowa and Iowa State. Um, you know, people around here ask me, you know, are you going to be rooting for Nebraska? I said, no, no, no. Uh, you know, I, I'm still a Kansas guy uh, through and through. But if you made me pick a local team around here, Iowa State would be the team I'd root for before Nebraska or Iowa here. But nonetheless, uh, I'm happy for the the, uh, the Cyclones here, Tom. This is going to be a big day. Uh, I think Iowa State does pull it off, though. But it's going to be close. Uh, I, I think that last week was enough to catch their attention. But we'll see. Yeah, you bet. I mean, uh, you know, I'll be cozied up to a uh, to a bar counter watching that one as soon as OSU and Tulsa finishes that's going to be dare I say just that I mean it's hard it's, it has to be the game of the week and and you know I, I think for Iowa it doesn't do as much for them to win I mean it does obviously but I, I think this game is way more important to Iowa State and their aspirations for the season yeah uh, this this has a potential to set the whole tone uh you know I'd if, if they lose, if Iowa State does lose, it'll be interesting to see how the season turns out for Iowa State. If Iowa State wins, uh, I mean, either way, vice versa, it'll be very interesting and very telling on what type of coach Matt Campbell is. And we know a lot about him. We know he's a great coach. Yeah. Um, but if they do lose this game, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see the adversity, see how that team overcomes that loss. If they win, dare I say, it gives them momentum to ride them in the college football playoff. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I would say, Tom, that if Iowa State loses this game, they are out of the college football playoff hunt week two because they are not going to beat Oklahoma twice. Um, they might beat them once, but they're not going to win twice. So you can almost look at this as an elimination game already for Iowa State just to begin the season, which says a lot in its own right. Let's go ahead and look at the rest of the Big 12 slate. Yeah. Uh, Texas taking on Arkansas. The game's in Fayetteville. Um, you know, Hudson Carr looked solid last week in his debut. They ran the ball well with Robinson. Whittington was phenomenal catching the uh, football with uh, seven catches, 113 yards, and uh, one touchdown. Texas offense was there. The defense was good. Um, you know, Sam Pittman's done a good job at Arkansas. Uh, you know, this is an old uh, Southwest Conference rivalry between these two. 
And I mean, you want to talk about athletes and, and uh, you know, having the players and such. Um, I think Texas is just more talented team. No disrespect to Arkansas. Uh, Pittman's doing a good job building that program, but uh, Texas got more guys there. I think Texas is going to be fine there in Arkansas and, and the Horns are going to be feeling good about themselves being 2-0. Uh, and this is one, too. If Texas wins by three or if they win by six, I mean, as long as they get out of there with a win, I think Texas feels okay if you just go in there and get an SEC win. It doesn't have to be pretty. Just get it done. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, you know, what it, I think, you know, we, we talk about the best game maybe of the week, you know, previously in Iowa and Iowa State, and we talk about this game. I think this is – this is the most fun game to me. Um, I, I think this game is going to be a blast. I think it is going to be close. I don't see Texas running away with it. Um, I do think they probably win by at least a touchdown or so. Um, but I, this is this is going to be a fun game. This is going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, you know, I, Arkansas is going to have their fans out for sure. Um, and, you know, if I wasn't going to Stillwater this weekend for OSU Tulsa, I might have just packed up and went to Fayetteville for this game. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, – I think it's be one of those games you just walk in and the town's just electrified. I think that's what Fayetteville's going to be like this weekend. Yeah. Um, I think Texas handles his business, though. Yeah. Um, looking at the uh, rest of the uh, Big 12 slate, Oklahoma taking on Western Carolina. Um, you know, if Oklahoma had to do it again, Tom, I think they would have taken this game week one to kind of polish themselves up a bit and then would have played Tulane the uh, following week. Uh, Oklahoma's got some work to do. I mean, they got some problems. Uh, Spencer Rattler made too many mistakes. The defense was not good last week. Um, you know, the offense scored 40 points, but then they didn't have a touchdown in the second half here. This is a chance for Oklahoma to really clean up things. I think after this week, uh, things go back to normal for OU. I think this is the game that they needed last week that, uh, you know, OU is going to be fine. They're still going to have a great year and such. I'm not too alarmed by that Tulane game, but uh, the, the timing was not not great. They were not ready for last week. They were not ready for Tulane to hit them in the mouth like that. Now there's a chance to uh, sure up things a bit, and I think Oklahoma is ultimately going to be okay. Do you think the Sooners are going to be fine? I think they're going to be fine. And, and you know, it's kind of like the two Oklahoma teams, kind of like a tail of the to, you know, tell the two same cities there. I mean, you know, I'd figure figure like two lanes probably better than Missouri State, obviously, but very identical games, um, both those. And, you know, for OU, they got – you mentioned they have some things to clean up. I was shocked, Jones. I don't know if you share the same sentiment here, but the OU offensive line, a lot of false starts. Yes. Uh, especially there in that first half. I thought, what in the world? Like, you know, you're not at two lane. You're playing in front of a home crowd. Um, the very, I don't know, maybe the first game anxiety, but I, I don't think so. It shouldn't have been, you know, and that kind of hindered them and let Tulane stick around, at least in that first quarter. But, you know, it was what a five point ball game going into the, going into the end. Um, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you got to put teams away. That's no discredit to Tulane because I, I think Tulane's going to have a great season. Yeah. Um, and what that coach has done there has been credible, but still, uh, you know, if you have playoff aspirations and you're number two team in the country, um, you, you got to take care of business. But yeah. I think I think they'll be fine. Obviously, this week they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, elsewhere around the Big 12, you mentioned Oklahoma State. Uh, the Cowboys taking on Tulsa. 
That game starting at 11 a.m. Tulsa lost to UC Davis at home on Thursday night, and now you have a few extra days to get ready. I like Davis Brim, their quarterback, um, but you know I- I'm not surprised that Tulsa lost last week, and the reason that is, Tom, is you had half their players suspended for that first half against UC Davis going back to that fight they had against Mississippi State in the bowl game last year. You lost a bunch of guys from last year's team, too. And, I mean, there was a lot of things that just went Tulsa's way last year that bounced their direction, some, you know, one-score games that could have been either way and and just went their way. And so now you, you flip the script to 2021 and things go the opposite direction. So uh, I don't know how good this Tulsa team is going to be this year, um, but – you look at where they're at. They're going to be hungry. We know they have some talented guys. They rushed the ball well last week with uh, Prince. You know, he had close to 180 yards on 14 carries. Um, Oklahoma State, you get Spencer Sanders back. Uh, Tay Martin was incredible last week with over 100 yards receiving on just six catches. Uh, we talked about Presley last week as well, how good he's going to be, some of the talent there. Um, Oklahoma State, I think they win. Uh, I think this is at least a two-score game, but uh, I'm very intrigued to see what Oklahoma State does to stop the run. I think that's going to be the big challenge ahead for the Pokes is slowing down the Tulsa run game. Um, If they do that, if they can slow down Tulsa running the football, then they're going to be more than fine and and, uh, and bounce back. I think Spencer Sanders is going to make a statement of some sorts in this one. I think he has to. And, and, you know, last year, Obviously didn't go Sanders' way. Got injured in that first quarter, pretty much the first drive. Um, you know, he's out last week. Uh, he, he needs to come back and make a statement. You know, you mentioned TU losing to UC Davis in Tulsa. Uh, there's no reason in my mind. You know, you you have the first game jitters and Shane Ellingworth has to take over. Probably I, I, that was like a I don't know if that was a last second announcement or not, but you know, maybe changes the game plan up there a bit against Missouri State. Uh, it still should have been, you know, a bigger win than what it was and was close at the end. But uh, I, I think for Oklahoma State, you have to come out and you have to kick whoop ass and take names. Um, and, and there's no reason they shouldn't this weekend. You know, you mentioned the running game for TU is going to be solid. Uh, Brooks will be fine running it. And it'll, you know, it'll be, you know, what it is. But Oklahoma State, there's no reason that they shouldn't win this game by three touchdowns or more. Um, you mentioned two t- two score game. I'm I'll be disappointed if it's not plus twenty. Uh, how about TCU taking on Cal? Cal lost last week against Nevada, as the Pac-12 just had a disastrous week across the board, highlighted by a top twenty-five team in Washington losing to Montana. Now TCU's at home, eleven and a half point favorite. Max Duggan played well last week. As uh, we figured out the name of the school they played, by the way, that's Duquesne, right, Tom? Duquesne, yeah. The, the pretty much might as well be a high school football team, or you, you said it earlier, Bishop, Bishop Sycamore. Sycamore. Yes, yes. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, Max Duggan played well last week. Uh, TCU, this is a team that we're high on that might be the third or fourth best team in the league. Uh, Cal is just simply not a good football team. Tom, uh, TCU – if they do what they're supposed to do, they should have no issues with Cal. I think that they're, they're going to be just fine uh, at home on Saturday. I, I would expect this to be at least a 10-point win for the Horned Frogs, assuming everything goes right. 
you know, and you mentioned Cal lost last week. You know, it's still Cal. Uh, TCU, you know, they got them in Fort Worth. I think they're, I think they got this for sure. Uh, uh, you know, for sure win here. But, you know, nonetheless, if they do go ahead and take care of business, it's still a nice win. You know, um, I'd, I'd like to see TCU come out and, and, you know, show up to Pac-12 again. You know, K-State did it last week. I'd like to see TCU go ahead and do it this week. Kansas takes on Coastal Carolina. This game on Friday night in uh, Myrtle Beach. And the Jayhawks are about a 25-point underdog. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this. And to try to make things as nice as I can be about the place I call my alma mater, the University of Kansas, um, you know, they, they ran a very vanilla offense last week in that win against South Dakota, not trying to show too much. And Jason Bean balled out. Uh, I was very impressed in his debut as the uh, Kansas quarterback. I think he's the best quarterback KU's had since Carter Stanley was there. And you look at their defense. The defense played really well. Uh, the 14 points they allowed was mostly because of the offense making mistakes to put them in that position for the uh, – uh, for South Dakota to score uh, in uh, in those circumstances. So I liked what I saw from Kansas to win last week against South Dakota 17-14, as much as that sounds weird to say. I like what I saw. But now you run into a buzzsaw. Coastal Carolina is the 17th-ranked team in the country. Co- uh, you know, they're led by Grayson Call, who's been terrific this past you know, year or so. Uh, you know, he was great last week, 16 of 19, 262 yards and a touchdown through the air. He runs the ball well. They do this spread option offense, which is just unbelievable. Coastal's had their way with KU the last couple of years. Um, and now they're a powerhouse. Uh, Coastal Carolina has really emerged. And, and when you scheduled Coastal last year for this makeup game, I don't think anybody had any idea Coastal was going to have this great year last year, and then be a top 25 team again this year. You didn't know what you were getting into when this game was scheduled. Coastal's going to probably deliver a beat down to KU. As much as I hate to say it, that's reality here. Coastal is a really good football team. Uh, you know, Grayson McCall and Coastal is going to have a good night. I, I would be shocked if they aren't beating Kansas by at least three scores on, on uh, Friday night. That's not a knock on KU. Um, that's just where they are as a program right now. It doesn't matter who the head coach is, whether it's Lance Leipold or Nick Saban. This Kansas team would struggle against Coastal Carolina, Tom. Yeah, they definitely would. And, and you know, I think I think for KU, I think, you know, if you're, you know, if you're Lance going in, I think you're telling your players, like, hey, listen, let's go out there, you know. I, I think he knows what is going to happen, but – I think you have to come out and, and give your best game and, and do your best to make it close, um, you know. And, and if you think KU rushed the field last week, if, if somehow KU pulls this off, it'll be a party at the Hawk uh, in Lawrence this weekend. <laughs> you better but, believe it. Uh, yeah, the, right. the rest of the Big 12 slate, some FCS matchups. West Virginia taking on Long Island. Yeah, to, um, to play your game and, and – It'll be a good test to see for, for Lance Leopold where the program's at against Coastal, an early test. Yes, yes, for sure. The uh, the rest of the uh, Big 12 slate, you take on FCS opponents. West Virginia takes on Long Island. Uh, close game last week for West Virginia, but ultimately came up short. Jarrett Deggie's got to do a better job, uh, you know, being more accurate with the football. I don't have 
any concerns about them against Long Island. I think they polished things up there. Baylor takes on Texas Southern. Baylor didn't play great last week against Texas State, but they did pull it off. Um, not concerned about what they're going to do against Southern here. K-State against Southern Illinois. Um, I'll say this, Southern Illinois uh, last week threw, had a quarterback, uh, Nick Baker, that threw 460 yards and four touchdowns. I'm not saying K-State's losing by any means, but they will have to defend the passing attack of Southern Illinois. Uh, I think K-State takes care of business. They're going to be okay. Texas Tech, really good fourth quarter against Houston. Now you take on Stephen F. Austin here. Um, you know, last week we looked at some of these Big 12 teams had some scares against these FCS programs. We still ultimately pulled it off. Now you look at, you know, whether it's Oklahoma, Texas Tech, K-State, Baylor, whatever, these other FCS opponents this week, Tom. I don't think any of them this week have the scares that we saw last week. I think that those mid, those first week woes are out of the way. I expect the Big 12 to – to be just fine and have some dominating performances against these FCS schools in week two. Yeah, I think so. And, I, you know, the first game, whatever, fans are back, the energy's back. I'm not going to make an excuse for anybody, but, you know, you, it doesn't matter. You win, you're past it. You know, you don't go, you don't turn around at the end of the season and say, well, we should have beat that team by more. You know, if you lose a game, you say, oh, we should have beat that team, but you don't turn around and go, Maybe I'm, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a college head, college football coach, but I don't think you turn around and you go, oh, well, we should have beat that team by more. No, it's still a dub. Um, I, I like to see Big 12 polishing some shit up um, this weekend and, and and taking care of business. I like I like Big 12, you know, pretty much all the way through. Well, especially when you see. Okay. Besides KU, obviously. But. Right. Especially think about this. Okay. I know Alabama is Alabama, but – if you're Oklahoma and want to be mentioned in the same breath as Alabama, you have to compare yourselves to the Tide every single week. And look what they did against Miami, right? Alabama was ready to go from the jump. Nick Saban had his team ready in every way. They, you know, dotted their I's. They crossed their T's. They didn't hesitate. There was no lack of preparation. They knew the task at hand, and they were ready to go. Georgia against Clemson, although their offense wasn't great, their defense looked like a team that was ready to play in the SEC championship game, holding that Clemson offense to three points. Now you look forward, and I say if you're Oklahoma here, um, you got you got work to do. It's clear you're not on the level of those teams right now. Could that change? Absolutely. And I get it. People want to say, well, that's Alabama. That's this. Sure, you can say that. But if you're Oklahoma, if you're Iowa State, if you want to be top 10 teams, if you want us to take you seriously as title contenders, then we're going to compare you to those. That's just how this works. You are not there right now. Granted, it's one week, but Oklahoma, Iowa State, your top 10 teams out of the Big 12 are not at that level at this point in time. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned you compare. I think everybody to some level compares themselves to Alabama. You know, how's the best doing it? You know, it's, it's like kids growing up compare themselves their game to, to Michael Jordan or LeBron. You compare yourself to the greatest, and that's, you know, the – the negatives that come out of that or the the remaining change that comes out of that. 
hundred dollar bill is, is, you know, where you can make changes and, and get better each week. And so, it, you know, it's, it's nice to not have to play Alabama, but continue to be able to watch them and, and see what they do to, to, you know, say, Oh, well they did this and this is what they do really well. And we might, you know, we could also do this really well, but here's where we can get better towards that goal. Um, so I, I think for, for all teams, big 12, including big 12, just across the nation, I think, you know, you start out slow. You, you, you mentioned, Iowa State and OU and you have these playoff aspirations and you start out slow against these little shit teams, uh, there you go. It's pretty dry and cut and clear. Your work's cut out for you. Hey, let's not have a hundred and a half uh, fucking false starts in the first quarter. Uh, I'm sure the linemen are running this week, but, yeah, you know, it could be anything. You know, it, it, Alabama played a hell of a game. And if you're one of these teams that should be mentioned in the same breath or wanting to be mentioned in the same breath, then you got to clean up. You got to start with the small stuff, uh, whether it be those little penalties that shouldn't happen and, and go from there. Um, you know, we mentioned it earlier. I think Big 12 is going to be fine this week, other, other than KU, obviously. But uh, you, you got to clean up the small stuff. And I think, I think the Big 12, you know, mainly OU and Iowa State, I, I think they'll be a lot better this week than they were last week. Yeah, they uh, they need to be. That's uh, for sure. We're going to have plenty of NFL discussion on today's show as well. Uh, we're going to have our NFL breakdown with uh, Brian Baldinger as we preview the NFL season in just a few moments. Also going to have Coach Bo's football fix later on presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. Got our picks can pick them and uh, we'll continue to preview the NFL season. So we'll uh, bring that to you and our Tom Fullery story of the week as well coming up in just a bit. So stick around. Brian Baldinger joins us next here on the Jones Report. Joining us now here on the Jones Report this week is NFL Network analyst, 11-year NFL pro Brian Baldinger on the show to preview the NFL season. Baldy, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. What an exciting time of year, football finally arriving. Well, we're taping this here, Tyler, on Tuesday before the opener, which is Thursday night in Tampa, as the Bucs try to defend their title against the Cowboys. So uh, we're 48 hours away from kickoff. And I don't know, just going around the country this summer and going to a lot of training camps and going through airports and talking to fans, I I don't know that a season has been more anticipated than the one we're going to get, especially in light of what we all went through last year. Yeah, and fans returning to the stands. We know about uh, the talent coming back and such. What intrigues you uh, about 2021? What's some of the storylines you're looking at heading into this year? Well, I mean, we haven't had a team repeat since Tom Brady's, you know, uh, Patriots did it in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004. Uh, They bring back not just every player that started in the Super Bowl, but they bring back every coach. And normally when a team wins the Super Bowl, Good coaches get plucked from that from that roster of coaches. And, you know, for them to hold on to, you know, the guys that they did and and to keep every the train rolling, like that's that's the biggest story. Can the Bucks repeat? Um, you know, but then, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs have been to back-to-back Super Bowls winning one. Um, they've got a five new offensive line this year. They're not gonna five new offensive linemen. I'm anxious to see them week one. I'll be there in Kansas City when they, they face Cleveland. I saw them play in preseason, starting with Zeus at left tackle, and they look really good up front. They're going to start two rookies on the offensive line. They both look really good, Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. Um, the rookie quarterbacks, uh, three are going to start. 
We know that Trevor Lawrence is going to start. Uh, we know that Zach Wilson is going to start and Mac Jones, but I don't believe that Justin Fields is too far behind. And we know Trey Lance is probably going to get on the field week one. I mean, those, yeah. are, just, those are some of the storylines right now, you know, where, you know, can, can Dak Prescott get back to health after missing all the preseason and the last 11 weeks last year with Dallas? I mean, the, the storylines, you don't have to go very far to find them, Tyler. They're, they're everywhere. Yeah, let's start out with those defending champions, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last year, Baldy, you look at the first three quarters of the season, they were still trying to find themselves. And then down the stretch, with the way they ended the regular season all the way to the win to winning the Super Bowl, they were a whole different team. Do you expect to see more of that Bucs team we saw later on in the season to start the year in 2021? I do. They won their last eight, like you mentioned, Tyler last four in the regular season and four in the postseason. So they're eight no since their last defeat um, to Kansas City. But I, I expect to see more of what we saw. I, I went to see him in training camp this summer. I saw Tom Brady play 25 snaps in the preseason. In a couple of preseason games, there was a stretch against the Houston Texans where he completed 10 in a row. The ball didn't get close to touching the ground. Uh you know, when they started off last year in a COVID world and a quarantined world, and they struggled to find timing and chemistry with some of their stars. And by the end of the season, you just didn't see that. And when I went to see him in training camp this summer, there is a constant dialogue between Brady, his coaches, and his players after nearly every single play. So I just think that the things that maybe caught them a little bit last year where they struggled with because of unfamiliarity and new offense, new coaches. I, I, I don't see that this year. I don't see that being an issue. How much longer could Tom Brady do this? We know the old saying goes that, uh, you know, Father Tom is undefeated. I, I think Father Tom finally took its first loss with Brady. I'm so impressed with the level that he played at last year. Do you think he could replicate that again in 2021? I haven't seen any signs, Tyler. You know, sometimes they can fall off a cliff real fast. I don't think that's going to happen. There were whispers in New England at the end, but we kind of saw that they just had, they were breath of talent and he just wasn't thrown to real quality NFL players. You saw him with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronk, and he looked like a totally different player. Um, he can still push the ball down the field. He's very accurate. Always has been. I, I mean, I, I you, you have to, his age 44, take it a year at a time. But he said he wanted to play till 45. He's going to get that opportunity. And I don't think we're going to see a slowdown this year. I, unless there's un, some unforeseen hit, injury, whatever. Uh, just watch him in the preseason. He looked uh, like the Tom Brady we saw in the Super Bowl. In that division, the uh, Saints were the division champions last year. They lose Drew Brees. Uh, now James Winston is going to be the starter. Do you see anyone in that division being much of a threat to Tampa Bay this season? Well, I think that the Saints are going to be a lot better than people think. I know that Drew's not there, but they're going to push the ball down the field more than they did with Drew. Uh, we saw that in a preseason game. I think some of these young players, Marcus Callaway, are going to be good players. They return their starting offensive line, which is one of the league's best with Kamara. Um, and the defense is really solid. So I think that they can still give. And I'm sure Jameis would love to nothing else but to go up against his old team in some of these matchups this year as a starting quarterback and to show maybe what they didn't see. So I think that the Saints are still a viable threat in that division. 
And I think Carolina is going to be a lot better than what people think. I don't know if they're ready to take on the Bucks right now, but I think they can compete with everybody else in that division. Yeah, I think Sam Darnold's due for a big year, Baldy. Uh, I, I like him getting away from the Jets and getting uh, to Matt Rule and company. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many games they can win necessarily, but I do see Sam Darnold taking a, a big step up this year. Um, now, you mentioned the Kansas City Chiefs a second ago. Three straight AFC Championship game appearances. What do you like uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, this this looks like a complete, a pretty complete football team on paper. Is that what you're saying too? I see that. I mean, the offense, I mean, the offense line is the key. Like I said, I think they've drafted well. Lucas Niang is going to be a first year player at right tackle, but he was a third round pick last year. Didn't play because of COVID. Um, but Zeus has always wanted to be the left tackle. Orlando Brown Jr. He's going to see Miles Garrett week one and Joey Bosa week three. <laughs> you know. We're going to find out if Zeus can hold down the left tackle position. I believe he can. Um, but, you know, they, they're, they're well coached. Uh, the quarterback is the best player in the league. Uh, he's my choice for the league MVP this year. Um, and defensively, I believe in Steve Spagnola. He's, he's been the architect of two Super Bowl wins. Mike, uh, Chris Jones is just uh, a really tough guy to handle up front. Uh, Tyron Matthew is as talented a safety as there is in football. Um, they press you on the outside. They blitz you. They play a good style of football to complement what they do offensively. I, I expect the Chiefs to get to their third Super Bowl in a row. Tyron Matthew, he's in a, a contract year. Do you think uh, Tyron Matthew is going to have a, a big year for that Chiefs defense? I, I, I believe in Tyron Matthew. Uh, you know, he's healthy and he's been healthy the last few years. Um, he's a difference maker. He takes the ball away. Uh, he's an impact hitter. He's a great tackler. Um, I, I, you know, look, the contract might motivate him a little bit more. I don't think it's going to change the way that he plays the game. I think he's just going to be that guy that loves the game, that challenges you, and he does some things outside of the scheme that I think Steve Spagnola understands now that just play to his instincts for how to play the game. And it's something that – you just can't coach, and he has. We'll stay in the AFC, Baldy. Uh, when you get past the Kansas City Chiefs, there's a lot of good teams in the AFC. Seems like the AFC is much stronger than the NFC. Who's the second best team? Who's going to be the biggest threat to Kansas City in the AFC in Europe? Well, I mean, Buffalo lost in the AFC Championship game. They're going to be a good football team. The, the quarterback is is the real deal. Um, he threw 37 touchdowns last year. I don't know if he's going to throw 37 again this year. Maybe it was more. But he's got they, – they believe in throwing the football. Like they are a passing team and they're difficult to defend because they run more four and five wide receiver sets than any other team in the league, including the Arizona Cardinals. And really Josh Allen is the run threat when they get like that. And he's just difficult to get to the ground. He's very fast. He's a great runner. He's big and strong. He's hard to bring down. And so they are a very difficult offense to defend. Defensively uh, – you know, I think they got better this year. They get startled too little laid back in the middle of their defensive line. He's their best defensive tackle. He didn't play last year because of COVID. They draft Gregory Rousseau and Carlos Basham in the first and second rounds. Both of them look like they're going to contribute right away. Uh, and they're well coached on that side of the ball by Leslie Frazier. So Buffalo is viable. We know Baltimore has been really hit hard at the running back position with injuries, losing J.K. Dobbins and you know, losing Justice Hill, th those are big losses. I don't know that you can overcome that. 
They've got to be able to throw the ball better than they do. But defensively, they've got everything it takes to be great. Uh, they've got a great coordinator, really good talent, really deep. Uh, you know, and the Chargers, look, the Chargers and the Colts are going to be teams, and I don't want to leave the Titans out of it because the way they can run it uh, and the way that they're coached. But those are three teams that, you know, are going to be on the outside looking in but should play in January. What about the Cleveland Browns? They finally broke through and won a playoff game last year. What do you think uh, Baker Mayfield and company has in store? Well, I, I, I don't want to leave them out by any stretch. Uh, you know, I don't want to forget Cleveland. They're really solid. Kevin Stefanski really steadied that ship, really brought a lot of professionalism and great coaches to Cleveland. I'm Bill Callahan, coaching the offensive line. They were the best in the league last year. Bill's had a bunch of offensive lines that were the best in the league, you know, while he's, you know, been in that, you know, it, it, you know, coaching offensive lines around the league with the Jets and Cowboys and Washington. I mean, he's just he's just that talented. Uh, but I like Baker. I, I think they're going to be a better offense this year, despite what some people like might say. They're better when Odell Beckham Jr. is healthy. He's got a lot to prove. He looks like a different, more mature Odell Beckham to me. Uh, the two running backs are the best tandem of backs in the league in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I'm anxious to see what Jadevian Clowney gives him. On the defensive side of the ball, he's a game changer when he's healthy um, and he's in shape. And I don't know if he's in shape, but I know he's in wing money, Kansas City. If he's back to 2017 form, Cleveland could be a real contender because he he's the perfect complement to Miles Garrett. Yeah, he is. He's uh, he's something special. I'm looking forward to see what the Browns can put together in a 2021. You mentioned the Tennessee Titans. They bring in uh, Julio Jones to add to that already impressive receiving core there. What do you make of uh, what Mike Vrabel's got with that Tennessee Titans team? Uh, what, what do you expect out of them here in a 2021? Well, they've got the king, you know, and I don't know if anybody's better than the king, Derrick Henry, right now. I mean, he's a – He's their every down ball carrier. He's going to get 350 touches. He's hard to tackle. He has a chance to go for 2,000 more again this year. Um, they got to replace a lot of people, though. I mean, they, you know, Arthur uh, Arthur Smith is a, is a talented co uh, coordinator. Um, I got to see what they're like um, if, he's, if he's not there. Um, Julio does upgrade the receiver position. We just haven't seen the best of Julio, though, the last couple of years. You know, can he stay healthy? Uh, in some games, if he has to compliment uh, AJ, I'm not sure that he's going to love that role, but it's going to be his role. I got to see just what Julio is, because I don't know that he's the most dominant receiver in football the way he once was. But I could be wrong about that. If he's healthy and motivated, that that – those are two good receivers to complement that running game. And that, that will go a long ways to what Tennessee can do. Well, Baldy, I look at uh, Tannehill, for example. You know, if you're looking for the the line of quarterbacks that, that should be paid to, to be your franchise quarterbacks, I look at it starts with Tannehill as a guy that uh, it kind of where the, the line is set of sorts of being worth that next contract and – you know, a, a guy, I, I fully believe in Tannehill. He can take a team to the Super Bowl. Are you buying uh, Tannehill? Is he good enough for this Tennessee team, you think? Yeah, he is. You know, he's a great athlete. He was a wide receiver at Texas A&M before he got moved to quarterback. He can run with the best of the quarterbacks that have that dual threat to him. 
Uh, he's really smart. I've been in the film room with, uh, with Ryan picking his brain. He really knows what he's looking at. Uh, he's, he's very, he's very polished. Uh, yes. I, I believe Ryan still has more growth in his game. He's only truly been a starter now in Tennessee for a year and a half. He's been to the postseason twice. Uh, he expects to get back there again this year. He knows what's expected of him. The thing about him is he can really push the ball down the field. And that's what Marcus Mariota was not able to do. And when you could do that to AJ Brown and to Julio and, you know, you know, some other guys, um, your offense has more explosion to it. Uh, you're going to score more points. What about that next group of teams uh, like Miami or Pittsburgh or Denver or whatever? I mean, uh, when, when you get past those, uh, you know, playoff teams that look like locks, who do you think potentially could maybe, uh, you know, crash the party of some sorts, make some noise there? Well, I, I expect Miami to be a good team. They were 10-6 last year. They lost the last week of the season to Buffalo badly, knocked them out of the playoffs. But they're going to be competing. The division is much better this year. The Patriots and the Jets are much, much better than they were a year ago. Both teams. I mean, the Jets scored three points against the Dolphins in two games last year. So the Jets are much better offensively than at any point last year. So they're going to see better competition in their own division, which is fine. Um, yeah, I think the one team that has a chance to really jump out is, is the Chargers. I think Brandon Staley can really take that defense to a new level. They've got a lot of talent. They've been drafting really high on that side of the ball for a long time. It's, you know, it's more than Derwin James and Joey Bozer. There's a lot of talented players on defense there. And I think, you know, what we saw from Justin Herbert was a lot to be excited about. And they really did the right thing. They addressed the offensive line. Rashawn Slater comes in at the left tackle. He looks good. Corey Lindsley's a center. He looks great. I mean, I think they were building this thing the right way. Now, Denver should be much better. Uh, defensively, Vic Fangio in two different places has led the league in takeaways. If they're at or near that spot this year and you give that offense just more at-bats, more field position, Denver, you know, might be very competitive this year. I, look, like you said, I'm, I don't want to leave the Raiders out because this is John Gruden's fourth year. It's time for them to win. They believe that, the, you know, they, they had a top 10 offense last year. Uh, they've got to improve on defense. They've added a lot of players that side of the ball. It's a question of, you know, can they can they consistently defend right now? They, they, they gave up too many easy touchdowns a year ago. Yeah, that's a great point. Let's uh, move on to the uh, NFC now. We mentioned how good the Bucs are coming off that Super Bowl appearance. Who's the biggest threat to the Bucs you see in the NFC, Baldy? Well, I was in Green Bay this summer, and the, and the Packers are a good team. And it's not just Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he looks like things are pretty well patched up. He looks like he's ready to go. They're just a good team, and you just watch them. You know, Robert Tanyan, you know, scored 11 touchdowns last year. You know, I mean – Nobody really knew Robert Tanya before last year. They developed players. You know, they were able to keep, you know, uh, Jones at running back, uh, you know, which was really going to be difficult when you're paying the quarterback that much money. And Devontae Adams and, you know, all the guys. But they brought in a new defense coordinator, Joe Barry. I'm, I was for the change. They've got – they just have talented players at just about every position. Like, they, they can compete. You know, with the best of them right now, they're they were in the you know been in the championship game two years in a row, didn't come out on top, but they'll they'll be knocking again this year. They're going to be really good. San Francisco is going to be. They won six games last year. They should be 
vastly improved. Just getting Nick Bosa back is going to make him better. Um, but they've upgraded the offensive line. Um, you know, I think the quarterback position is upgraded with Trey Lance uh, and how they work him in with Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I, I like the 49ers a lot. Okay, okay. Uh, w- when you look at Green Bay, who you mentioned there, uh, you mentioned that things are patched up and such. Do you see that ever coming back up again, or do you think Aaron Rodgers and them have moved on or and are all locked in on this year? No, I don't think they've moved on. I think Aaron Rodgers uses it as a real uh, motivator. You know, I think he kept it all bottled up last year, and it produced another MVP season, and 48 touchdowns, and I think he uses it as motivation to show certain people in that organization that you should listen to me. You should take my suggestions more serious than you do. And I don't think that has gone away. I think there's still that sort of tension, but that tension isn't necessarily a bad thing when it produces the the level of play. It helps to uh, produce the level of play that Aaron Rodgers is at. That's a great point. Uh, we're joined by Brian Baldinger of the NFL Network here on the uh, Jones Report this week as we're going around the National Football League preview in the 2021 NFL season. Baldy, uh, I want to focus in on the NFC West uh, there. Looks like the best division in football. We know the Rams are good, bringing in Stafford and such. Seattle's been consistent. Arizona's been a good team. And you mentioned that you like San Francisco to take a big step this year. Could we see potentially all four teams make the playoffs in that division? What do you make of the NFC West? Well, uh, I don't know if four teams can make it. I, I just don't because I, I just think that you know they'll they'll be eating their own at some point, right? And uh, you know, one but somebody might get knocked back. But I could see three teams. We've seen that many times in many years. Uh, a particular division produce three. I could see that uh, happening. Um, look, the Rams are a star star. They're, they're built around their stars. You know, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford. I mean, those guys command about 40 or 50% of the salary cap. And when they play at their best, they're hard to beat. I mean, Jalen Ramsey can take your best receiver and reduce him to nothing. Aaron Rodgers can dominate the defensive front. Matt Stafford is going to be a good fit for this offense. I mean, when they play at their best, Rams are going to be hard to beat. Um, the Arizona Cardinals, look, they, I, I think they just keep upgrading the talent. I happen to like Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's good for the league. We've got to see a better Kyler Murray. We've got to see, you know, when they when they keep him in the pocket the way that the Patriots did last year, can he beat you from the pocket? We know he's dangerous outside the pocket, and he can get outside against Buffalo, throw Hail Mary pass, and, you know, and just, just make highlights. Yeah, he's capable of doing that, but if he – if teams defend him the way the Patriots did a year ago, and more teams will try to do it, can him at his height and what his limitations are physically, can he win from that pocket? And it remains to be seen right now. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a great point. Who's the team uh, in that NFC, maybe that we haven't mentioned, that uh, catches your eyeball? Well, I, I, I was around Washington this summer. I did the preseason game against Cincinnati, and you know, I talked to Ron Rivera, the, the head coach there. And he told me, point blank, he goes, you know, I know we have good players. Um, I don't know if we're a good team. And I, I think that's the case of everybody in the NFC East. I think everybody in the East feels like they've got good players um, and that they could improve upon last year. And so, but I think Washington is still the best team there. And if they get, to, if they are, 
And if they win the East, just like Tampa had to go there last year, and it was a dogfight for them, they're going to go up against, you know, great defense. And an offense, I think that regardless whether it's Fitzpatrick or Heineke, the quarterback position, I believe, is in good hands. And they're building a good team around the quarterback. I think they're, they've got more weapons in offense. I think the running back position is solid. The offense line, they were able to keep Brandon Sheriff. Got in Charles Leno, drafted some guys. Like, I, I think Washington is going to be a, a really good football team. And a team that if you get to the postseason and if they make it, it's going to be a tough place to go play and win. Well, I love what, what Ron Rivera's done, uh, taking over with that job. Uh, you know, things that didn't work out towards the end there at Carolina, but we know he's a good coach and maybe a change of scenery was needed of some sorts. I mean, uh, it, it seems like, Baldy, that Rivera's come in and kind of changed the culture of sorts, which really needed it there in D.C. It's amazing, Tyler. It's really amazing. I mean, one year he cleaned up a big old mess, you know, from the front office to the perception to – you know, the name change. I mean, all kinds of things that were just awry. He came in there and just steadied the ship and got him talking football. He played a lot of young guys last year. <clears throat> they all, Antonio Gibson and Cameron Curl and Chase Young, and the, the young guys really stepped up. They are good players. Um, they belong. I think they all improved this year. Um, but, you know, he got it to back to just football. And really, all the other stuff kind of just cleaned itself up. You know, he just got a real adult in the room. And, and it really, you know, he's a professional. I mean, players respect him as a former player. He was a cancer survivor last year. Um, you know, he's got tremendous knowledge. He learned under Buddy Ryan, Jim Johnson. I mean, just so many different good coaches. Like, he's he's got a real, you know, he's got a real respect from his knowledge of the game. And so I think he brings that every day. And I think the players really respect him. In that division, of course, you got the Dallas Cowboys as well. We've seen them on hard knocks and such. Dak coming back. Um, what, what do you think Dallas is going to do in uh, 2021? Do you think that uh, they have enough to, to make some noise of sorts? Well, I think they, you know, it's a 17 game schedule. That's probably a good thing for Dallas. I, I think because of how limited they were with Dak and Tyrus with some guys preseason, they're probably going to need September to get themselves into real good shape. The offense, if it can stay healthy, um, can be amongst the league's best. I mean, they've got talent everywhere. So I expect the offense to be good. Um, it, it's interesting what Dan Quinn's doing defensively. They're taking their number one pick, Micah Parsons, and building their whole defense around him. And what I saw in the preseason, three preseason games he played, uh, he's up to the task. I mean, he's, he's doing everything, and he's really a good player. And he could easily be the defensive player, the defensive rookie of the year. There's no question. Uh, he's got that, that type of ability. You can't take your eyes off him. And so the defense is, is being turned over, uh, but they have to be better than they were a year ago. They just have to be better. You brought up the 17-game schedule. How much does that change things, you, you think, around the league for, uh, for everybody playing this extra week, uh, Baldy? Well, I think it changes things a lot. I think, you know, there's three games in September this year. I think a lot of teams will look at September, especially like a team like the Rams, who didn't play any of their starters in the preseason. Um, you know, a team like the Rams, they might need September to really get themselves into a rhythm. And so I, I think you have that kind of time this year. I mean, you could be one and two, even 0 and three in September this year, and you could come out of it if you fix what's ailing you. 
And so there's time. And then the other, you know, the, you know, the argument to all of that is, you know, is the health of the players. And, you know, they, they've got, um, you know, the practice squad is at 16 players. They have more active players. Like the rule changes from last year are going to help a lot of teams this year. Um, you know, just keep the guys up and ready and bring them from the practice squad. And, and so the healthier players over 17 games is going to be paramount to, you know, playing well in January. Yeah. And we have fans back in the stands in 2021. Baldy, how excited are you just to to see that, to, to have that sense of normalcy of some sorts? What's it going to do for these players to have a real game day atmosphere now? Well, it's, it's, it's going to be huge. I mean, this is all about the fans. Um, they, we, we, we don't do enough for the fans in my estimation. Um, they're, they're the reason why the league exists and is it the popularity that it is. And so the fans in the stands is a big deal. It's a big deal for the atmosphere. It's a big deal for home field advantage. Um, it's a big deal for momentum swings. It's just a big deal. Some fan bases are better than others, but they're all important. And so you put the Houdat nation in that Superdome on a Sunday or a Monday night or whatever, they can swing the game. You know, same thing with the 12th man in Seattle and what they do at U.S. Bank Stadium, you know, in Minnesota. You go around the league. The fans are the biggest part of this whole thing. I'm, I'm happy they're able to come back this year. Oh, yeah, me too. No, no question about it. You mentioned some rookie quarterbacks early on. When you look at the rookie class overall, who's, uh, who's a name or two you think is going to step up and, uh, and have a big year? Who's going to be the standout rookie to watch for? Well, you know, I, I thought Justin Fields was the second-best quarterback in the draft. And I know he's not scheduled to start in Chicago, but they've been waiting for a guy like Justin Fields for a long time. And I believe he's going to end up becoming the starter for whatever reason. And I think he's going to be really exciting to watch. Uh, Zach Wilson was really impressive in the preseason. Um, they've upgraded the talent around him. I'm not, you know, Matt Jones, I, I'm excited for all five guys. I think it's the best rookie class we've had since, you know, maybe 2004 with Eli and Ben and Philip. And I think it's, you know, and I don't want to say it's on par with 1983 with all the Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but it reminds you of a special class, you know, already. And I know it's only preseason. We'll couch it. But they, they look like a really good group that's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you got a great point there, Baldy. A couple more things before we let you go. Uh, your Super Bowl pick, uh, who do you like to ultimately get there and win it all? Well, it's, it's hard for me to go against the two teams that were there last year. I mean, I just can't. I mean, I want to give Buffalo credence and Green Bay and, you know, a bunch of other Buffalo, a bunch of teams, some, some – Shout outs, but I can't go. Kansas City and Tampa look to be the best teams I have seen so far this year. And I know it's only September, it's early, but those are my choices to, to come back and repeat in Super Bowl 56 at SoFi. So who do you like between the two? Who's uh who's the Super I like Bowl Kansas fan? City? I, I mean, I'm a I'm I'm a Patrick Mahomes fan. I think he's gonna be the MVP of the league. I like the change that they've done on the offensive line. I, I love the defensive coordinator and what he brings. Um, I like the Kansas City Chiefs right now to to go win it all. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you too. I got the Chiefs winning it all. I, I got the Rams though finding a way to get in there. I, I, I love the addition of Stafford and what they can do with that offense. Uh, elevate themselves in a 2021 from a season ago. Uh, Baldy, what are you? What are your football plans this year? Where are people going to be able to find you and hear what what you got going on this season, man? 
it's a busy uh, schedule. I work for the NFL Network, so I'm on, you know, pretty much all week long, whether I'm on TV or they're putting my Baldi's breakdowns on TV or on all those sites. I, I do the national uh, game of the week on national radio um, every week, me and Chris Carino. So we started our 12th year this year together. Uh, we'll be in Kansas City, Cleveland, Kansas City, week one. Uh, we'll be, uh, and so every week we get a great game. Um, I'm the national uh, Odyssey radio uh, NFL analyst. So I'm on uh, all over the country on a variety of stations. I do a podcast, all these breakdowns every week. I'm, I'm, I'm the analyst for Sky Sports in London. So we do a show inside the huddle every Tuesday. So there's, there's a lot of outlets. Uh, you know, all year long that you can find me at Baldy NFL on Twitter and on Instagram as well. I love the uh, the Twitter videos of, of Baldy's breakdowns and what you've been doing. You've been doing that for a long time now, and people all around the league have gravitated towards that. How did that start? How did you come up with uh, start doing those Baldy's breakdowns? Well, I just started, you know, I just felt like there was uh, a real missing component between what – any analyst on TV, and I'm not knocking any of them because I do it myself, what an analyst would tell you on Sunday and what really happened. And then what was reported or what was said after a game or during a week and what really happened. I just felt like there was a – the game was just too complicated and moved too fast for anybody to really see everything. And so I thought if I slowed it down and really showed why a play worked, didn't work, um, you know, extra effort from certain players – technique work that needs to work on. Like I just felt like there was a big gap in the analysis game. And I thought like all these breakdowns could fill in that gap. And I just started doing it on a small scale. But what I realized almost as soon as I started it was the players were, were retweeting it as soon as I would say something about it in real time almost. And I knew once the players were really kind of following it, that the fans would be following it just the same and the teams and, you know, uh, other people that are involved in the game. Who's a guy or two that you enjoy breaking down the most, uh, Baldy? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the left guard in Indianapolis, Quentin Nelson, Big Q. I mean, I, I love watching Big Q play. Uh, I love watching Jalen Ramsey play. I love watching Patrick Mahomes play. I mean, there's certain players I know I'm going to have some fun as soon as I turn the tape on. Like, I might just grab a fresh cup of coffee and I might just sit back and enjoy it, you know, before I even do a sim, you know, any breakdowns at all. Because I know that what I'm going to see is, you know, probably the league's best at those positions. That's a football guy right there. And uh, and the shirt, too, I love it, just simply says football, Baldy. I mean, that's, that's it. I don't, I don't need any, I don't need anything more than that, man. I just, I just wear the simple duds and really the name says it all. That's incredible. Baldy, I'm glad we could connect up and uh, have you on the podcast, man. Best of luck this season. Let's talk again down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, my pleasure. You bet, man. All the best to you as well. Anytime. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can check out O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com as well. You can reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 
0720 to schedule an appointment today. Also by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian.oconnor at lpl.com. Brian with a Y. And also O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook. He is also the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. And he joins us right now. Bo, appreciate the time. As always, let's start out with business first. What's going on this week at O'Connor Advisory Group? Hey, this week's been uh, kind of a special week. We're working with a couple of big cases. Uh, one thing we really specialized in is, and over the years and my background and past has been helping people who have lost a loved one. And we're currently working with two families. Actually, I'm sorry, we're the third family we are now working with who have lost either a mom or dad or a significant other and try to pick up the pieces and try to figure out where to go from there. It's something that's unfortunately necessary sometimes. And, uh, we're spending a lot of time on that this week, and uh, I'm gonna be here, I'll be here late the next couple of nights working on some stuff for clients. But that's what we try to do is we want to, you know, we always say we want to be your partner, even the good times and then the bad ones. Unfortunately, when you need that person, that can be us, and we, we're happy to do it. That's great. And uh, check out O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com for more information there. And Bo, the uh, Coach Bono's podcast, you're three episodes in now. We had our fantasy draft the other night. People are going to get to hear that here in the next couple of days. Your show seems to be on a roll here to get get, as uh, it's gotten started. We've had a couple of great uh, guests so far uh, with Raymond Brown and Coach Carl Heinrich, and uh, that's really helped. And then, you know, we had uh, myself with a couple of buddies doing the 1.5 pod, and then the 2.5 pod will come out Friday. It's our fantasy football draft, which I know you couldn't be on. But uh, you're there in spirit. You did draft, but um, I got the best team. But I don't either here nor there at all. But um, <laughs> we we uh, we've it's a lot of fun. I think we had seven of the twelve owners on the call. It's a way of us to introduce some people who are going to be on those point five pods. So whether it's uh, the token girl Ellen Wingenter or um, Barry Kingery or Brandon Wallace, who was on the one point five episode. Um, we, we, it's a way to introduce everybody and to say, Hey, here's what we got. And, uh, it, it's fun. It'll be fun. <clears throat> Pardon me. It'll be fun to have the, everybody hear that and listen to that. And a lot of times nobody cares about anyone else's fantasy draft or fantasy team. You know, no one wants to, everyone wants to talk about their team, but nobody wants to hear about somebody else's. We tried to poke some fun at each other and have a good time while doing it. So that was fun. I made a big mistake in the middle of it, so that's a good one that everybody will get a kick out of, too. Oh, looking forward to it, Bo. Let's go ahead and start out with our Pickskin Pick'em this week, presented yeah. by O'Connor Advisory Group. And this is the first time we're picking NFL games this year, obviously. And we'll talk about those in just a second. But uh, let's go ahead and start with the college games. Bo, we did not do so hot last week. You were 4-6. and six. I was 3-7. and seven. And of the Pick'em squad, nobody was over 500 in picks this week. So I'm in first place. Uh, yes, you're, you're, you're up there. No one was over 500. You're not in first place. But oh, someone was five and five. Okay. Uh, TJ was five and five, uh, believe it or not, after uh, finishing last uh, a year well, ago. He'll, we'll catch up to TJ here very quickly. Right. I'm not worried about that. You know, one thing we got to you know, peel back the curtain a little bit on, Tyler, is that you literally get to pick these games. So you get a little bit of thought into them. You gave me the picks about five minutes ago. So now I've got to pick these games off the hip. So um, I'm still going to beat you. I mean, I don't, don't, don't question it, but just to let you know. I mean, I just choose the best five games of each one every week. So 
that's yeah. there's no you know science to it of some sorts we just pick the best each week so <laughs> uh with that being said let's uh, go ahead and start with these okay. uh, college games uh oregon taking on ohio state this game in columbus bow last week ohio state's offense was terrific defense not so much oregon they had a close one with fresno state a little closer than the experts thought I look at this Ohio State team, I really like what they bring to the table, but they kind of remind me of a Bob Stoops Oklahoma team where they're really good offensively, but that's a bad defense the Buckeyes got. Ohio State favored by 14. Is that too much for the Buckeyes, or is that just about right? You know, this is a tough one. I I see it going over 10, but um, I think it's close, and I don't want to overreact to Oregon playing a poor game against Fresno, who – Scored 50 the week before. Um, I'm going to take Oregon in the 14, but I can see Ohio State come breaking out and winning big, big. But I'm going to go ahead and take Oregon here. I am uh, going to stay away from the big line here. I think Oregon can keep it within 10. I'll go with the Ducks uh, in this one. Uh, and a lot of that for me has to do with Ohio State's defense. Uh, you look at the best teams in college football that we've talked about, Bo. And I really wonder if that's going to hold back Ohio State a bit, not having that elite defense uh, at this point. Do you think that's going to be a problem for them, or do you think their defense will get good enough as the year goes along? I think they'll improve. Um, You know, Minnesota gave Ohio State everything they wanted for three quarters, and this kind of fell apart at the end. Um, I'm kind of wondering what – I'm thinking about the bigger version of the Big Ten here and thinking – What's Ohio State going to look like with their defense isn't that good against the Penn State uh, down the road? I think Penn State's a good team. Um, I think they're good enough, and I think they'll improve throughout the season. So, I mean, I still like Ohio State to win the Big Ten. I still like them to go to the playoff. Right. I like them to lose in the playoff, like I predicted, but, you know, you just never know. Right. Uh, Iowa taking on Iowa State. Top 10 matchup between these two teams. The Cyclones coming off a close one against Northern Iowa last week. Iowa dominated in their matchup against Indiana. The Cyclones, a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Bo, Thomas and I talked about this earlier in the show. This is probably the biggest Cyhawk rivalry game of all time with both Iowa schools in the top 10 Iowa State, they have playoff in the mind. This probably means more for them, especially considering that their head coach, Matt Campbell, has never beat the uh, the, the Hawkeyes. Yeah. Um, it is their biggest game. This might be the biggest Iowa State game ever. And, yeah, uh, Iowa State favored three and a half, by the way. Yeah, I like Iowa State here. I know that you know Coach Campbell hasn't beaten Iowa. Um, I would probably feel differently if it was at Iowa. It's a harder place to go win. But if Iowa State really is a top 10 team, they should win this game and they should win it by five or six points. So I'm going to take Iowa State. I like the Cyclones to win, but I think Iowa keeps it within three and a half. I think that is too many points. I know that it's not a huge margin, but I think it's just enough. Give me the uh, Hawkeyes uh, to to keep it close. I I look at this bow as like a 24-22 type game. I don't think it's going to be high scoring uh, as far as that goes. Texas taking on Arkansas. The Horns are a six-point favorite on the road as they head to Fayetteville. Really nice win last week for Texas. Arkansas didn't look too hot, but they still pulled it off in their win against an FCS opponent last week. Bo, what do you think about the Horns favored by six coming off that win against Louisiana? Um, first off, they played well against Louisiana. I um, was kind of surprised by that. I picked the Cajun, Raging Cajuns in that game. 
Um, I like Texas here. Uh, that's something you won't hear me say much, but I do like them here. Um, I think Arkansas is on an upswing. Um, I like what they're doing overall. They just, the cupboard was very empty for that staff. And it's going to take them some time to come back and be something. But uh, Texas just got better weapons. And I think that playing at Arkansas this time of year isn't going to be any kind of big home field advantage. So I'll take Texas. I'll go with Texas too. Uh, more athletes, more, more talented team. Uh, and the way that they have come out of the gates like they have tells me that they're prepared for this game against Arkansas, that they won't be sleeping around. Arkansas, Sam Pittman's doing a good job, but I, I just don't think they have the weapons to hang with Texas like this. I'll take Texas to cover yeah, I think, that uh, six-point margin. I think Sam Pittman's a great coach for that place. Yeah. I think he's a great fit for Arkansas. I think they'll be solid for a good, for a good while. I think it'll take them some time. The uh, Holy War, Utah taking on BYU. BYU had a nice showing last week against Arizona, winning that game out in Vegas. Utah uh, defeated uh, Weber State last week. They're a seven-point favorite. Boa, the Holy War, this is one of the more underrated rivalries in college football here. Yeah, you know, I mean, this has been something that can these two teams in-state deal as well. Um, Man, I – I really like BYU. And uh, I, I think the big 12s kind of got a coup in getting BYU to their, for their conference. Um, I, I like BYU in this game. I want to pick the seven, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a full on upset here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with BYU here as well. Um, I think that Utah can certainly win this game, but seven points kind of too much at uh, at this juncture here. BYU uh, last week against Arizona. I know Arizona is not that great of a football team, but I love what they put together. That was an impressive performance, a, a complete team. I know they lost Zach Wilson and such, but uh, BYU is still a good team. I, I like BYU to cover that seven-point margin. Last one for you, Washington taking on Michigan. Washington last week, Bo, lost to Montana. They were a preseason top 25 team. They lost to Montana at home, Michigan. Uh, we've made fun of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh a lot, but they looked good last week against Western Michigan. The uh, Wolverines, a five-point favorite at home. Bo, do you think Washington can bounce back and make this a game, or are you going to go with the fight and Jim Harbaugh is here? Well, I don't think Washington's going to lay an egg like they did last week. But going to the big house, Michigan got a little bit of momentum. Um, you know, I like Michigan here. I think this is Michigan five. I can see this being five, six, seven. Um I think Washington played a good game, but I'll take Michigan at home. This would be a little different if this were a neutral site, but uh, at home, they're going to be tough to beat. I'm going to go with uh, Michigan here as well. Uh, Washington's got some problems uh, offensively. They really got exposed last week. Uh, Michigan, I-, I never feel good about taking Jim Harbaugh on Michigan, but five points against a team that just lost to an FCS school. I'll, uh, I'll ride with Michigan this time. Let's go to the National Football League now. Cowboys taking on the Bucks. Bucks are a seven and a half point favorite. It's the opening night game tonight uh, on a Thursday night football. Uh, Cowboys without Zach Martin. Bo, can the uh, boys keep it in within seven and a half, or is this one going to be pretty ugly? I think this is going to get a little ugly. I, I, I think the Cowboys are going to be a better team come week five, week six, week seven. Once they get some time on the field, they get on there. Uh, we know the deck. One team we know, Dak's 100%, that kind of thing. Uh, Tampa's going to want to show out, and Brady's going to want to have a big game here. So I, I like Tampa. You know, I Tampa's legit, 
and I'm not sure that Dallas is. So give me Tampa. I'll go with uh, Tampa here as well. Um, you know, the Cowboys have some issues. That offensive line is so bad. You lose Zach Martin, your best defensive, your best offensive lineman, going up against one of the best front sevens in the league in Tampa Bay. We saw what they did last year against the Chiefs when they had their issues on the offensive line in that Super Bowl. I think it's going to be a long night for the uh, Cowboys here. Give me the uh, the Bucks and the points to cover at seven and a half. Browns and Chiefs, a rematch of the divisional game last year. The Browns come in with a really good roster. Baker Mayfield and company ready to take that next step, it would appear, after winning a playoff game last year. The Chiefs, uh, we know their story. They're at home. They're a six-point favorite. Bo, I'm going to shock some folks here. Uh, I'm actually not taking the Chiefs. I think the Browns can keep it within six. We saw last year the Chiefs were struggling to, to cover spreads, uh, even with only losing two games of the regular season. Some of those spreads were kind of too high. I think the Browns keep it yeah. within six. I'll go Cleveland here. Who you got? I'll take the over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is going to be a high-scoring shootout. And if you're going to have a shootout, take the team that's going to give you points. So I'll take the Browns as well. Um, I just think six. I mean, this could be a touchdown game. This could be 38-31, um, something like that. I mean, I could see that. But I also think this could be – you know, 35, 31, 35, 28. I, I, my gut says when you have two high scoring teams, which these two are, you take the underdog. If it's enough, it's enough points. That's close to a touchdown. I'll take Cleveland in six. I think the chiefs win the game, but I think this is a high scoring close game. If I had to predict something like 38, 35. Okay. Okay. I can see that. Certainly. So, all right. A lot of agreement so far. We've only disagreed on one game at this yeah, point, Bo. That's not good for me. No, no. Uh, Usually I'm better when you're, when you're bad, I'm good. All right. Let's, uh, let's pick your team now. The Packers taking on the Saints this game in Jacksonville due to Hurricane Ida and uh, that situation. The Packers are a four-point favorite. Bo, what do you think about Aaron Rodgers taking on Jameis Winston here? You know, we just don't know who the Saints are. We just don't know. They waited too long to make the commitment to Jameis Winston. You know, they don't, you know, they're gonna, they don't have a tight end, no Michael Thomas. Um, I like the Packers here. I don't think that the Saints can win this game. Uh, the Saints defense still have some problems at corner. I think the Saints week 10 will be a whole different team than week one. But give me the Packers here. I think the Packers are going to win. I think they're going to win pretty decisively as well. I like the Packers here uh, to uh, to cover four points. I think that spreads too low. I thought this was going to be at least six, maybe seven, when the lines opened here. Uh, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers are just simply a better football team right now. I think that the Packers are in that upper echelon, of top three teams in the NFC, and then it's kind of everyone else after that. Um, and, and the Saints, you know, they're back and forth of – trying to organize things since Ida practicing in Dallas, playing in Jacksonville, you know, it's all a mess right now. I like the Packers to come in and show up and show out and, uh, and do what they're inclined to do. You know, that well-oiled machine. I think the Packers going to be fine. Four point favorites. Bears and Rams. This one's on Sunday night football. That's when we finally get to see Carrie Underwood make her debut of the year. Uh, the Rams are seven and a half point favorite Bo, Andy Dalton. It looks like we'll get the start for the Bears in this game. Rams favored at seven and a half. What do you think? I think this is going to be a damn blowout. I just think it's going to be awful. 
I think the Rams are gonna just gonna murder the Bears. I think it's a 14 point game. I think the the I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC. I do. Uh, that offense, you add Matt Stafford. The one thing that offense needed was to take the game manager out and get a quarterback who was not afraid to throw it down the damn field. And they got the best defense in the league. I like the Rams' defense is the absolute best defense. You got two of the best five defensive players in the league on that, uh, that defense. They have the best football player in the NFL in Aaron Donald. Um, Andy Dalton may not survive the game. So uh, up the Rams, minus a seven and a half. And uh, this is the easiest game of the week to pick for me, even at seven and a half. Yeah, if Justin Fields was playing and it was the same line, I would take the Bears to cover seven and a half. I would feel better about the game for the Bears if Justin Fields were the quarterback because he can get away and make some plays right. outside the pocket. If you gave me the same line, said yeah. Justin Fields starting, I'm taking the Bears. But yeah. you're throwing me Andy Dalton out there, I think this is going to be a disaster for the Bears. Uh, I bet I'm putting Andy Dalton's going to be on his back. He's going he's to get sacked four times. He's going to throw at least two picks. I like the Rams, although I will say the Rams – had struggles covering spreads last year, but also that was with the game manager, Jared Goff. I think that kind of changes a bit when you bring in a franchise quarterback in Matt Stafford. Give me the Rams cover seven and a half as well. Last one, Seahawks and Colts. Looks like Carson Wentz will give it a go for the Colts. Seattle favored at two and a half on the road. Bo, I have a feeling uh, I know where you're going to go with this. If you could take Carson Wentz off the Colts, it's a good football team. But you got Carson Wentz at quarterback. Uh, Seahawks, and I like them better than two and a half. So yeah, I can. Yeah, I just I, I'm not. I don't know if I will pick the Colts at all this season. I just th- what they've basically said is that they've said this. This coach has decided that um, they are going to the Colts are going to put their entire season on Carson Wentz, and that he's going to return to uh, to what he was for half a season three years ago. And I don't know where that works out anywhere. So, um, yeah. If, if you think Carl Wentz is going to be a good quarterback this season, then you should feel the same way about Cam Newton. Yeah. There's no difference. You're asking to go back three years in time to a guy who hasn't shown he's been that good for that long. I'm going so with just, Seattle here myself. Yeah, and I am too. Besides what you just said with Indy, I agree all of that completely. People are sleeping on this Seahawks team. You look at their offense with you got a you know an all pro quarterback in Russell Wilson, a Pro Bowl running back in Chris Garson, uh, you know really good receivers in DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and company. That's an elite offense, and their defense. You still have Jamal Adams and some other guys here. That's a really good football team. They could be maybe yeah. the third or fourth best team in the in the NFC. People are forgetting about the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks win this game probably by seven. I, I like them to cover just well, fine. I, I don't disagree with anything you said there, but I think the reason the Seahawks are getting kind of under under looked at is that division. All the teams in that division are pretty good. Yeah. And so it's going to come down to those games in division, who plays well. Um, I mean, you I look like at Seattle it, too. Over the last decade, there's not been a more consistent team in the NFC than the Seattle Seahawks. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. And they did the great thing of, you know, they won early. They had the Super Bowl early, Russell Wilson. And they did it when he was still in his rookie contract. 
they're the model in which every team is now doing it with young players, young QBs. And then they had to switch, and the Legion of Boom went away, and then it's Russell's team. But giving him DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett has just been a, had a solid career and has never really stepped down in his career. They've been really good in those areas. They filled in spots when they needed to. You know, Marshawn Lynch is gone, but Chris Carson is becoming on every every down back. Um, I expect a big year out of Chris Carson as well. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's the offense that's any worries for them. They're going to be in damn near every game. I'm a little worried about the defense in the middle. Um, I love Jamal Adams. Love a couple of their pieces up front. But uh, so I, I, again, I just I wonder because I, I do think really highly of the Rams. And I think it's going to come down to the Seahawks and the Cardinals. And I think people, everyone wants to pick the Cardinals because of Kyler Murray and he's exciting. He's young and they're a younger team. I think I kind of agree with you that if I had to pick one of those two teams, I would take the Seahawks because of the experience and, and Russell Wilson. So yeah, I think they have 13 definitely getting slept on. Yeah. Let's stay uh, in the national football league. So we've looked at some of the best matchups week one. What else are you watching for, for week one? What catches your eye? Maybe even storyline wise, Paul. Um, you know, I think a lot of it this week is just who it, we, we're not going to know who teams are right now. Um, I mean, things I'm looking at week one, you know, I want to see how the same, I'm a saints fan. I want to see how the saints do with Jameis Winston. Um, you know, that's going to be even harder when they're playing the Packers week one. I want this Cleveland Kansas city game is a big game week one. That's two of the best. I think five teams, if I had to pick my five teams that I think are super bowl contenders, both of them are in that group. Um, I'm really interested to see the NFC, um, what's going to happen in the, I'm sorry, in the AFC, what's going to happen with Buffalo, Miami, and New England. Um, what's going to, what's New England going to look like? You know, they're playing at home against Miami week one. It's a chance for Miami to say, hey, we are the next best team to Buffalo. Uh, those are a couple of things I'm looking at this first week, uh, just to kind of see, you know, kind of those kind of stories. Um, I want to see what my man Joe Burrow does in week one. I'm glad he's got a home game against Minnesota. Hopefully he'll just tee off on everybody. Um, you know, I'm interested. I think that they did a good job of, the league did, of, um, you know, give us, the, give us Dallas against Tampa week one. That was pretty good for the Thursday night game. Um, you know, Sunday night, they really thought when they scheduled that, that Dustin Phillips was going to be the quarterback. And the Bears screwed that up for everybody. Um, but, yeah, I think this first couple of weeks, it's really kind of getting a feel for who are those teams five through seven or eight in each conference. We know Buffalo's good. We know Kansas City's good. We know Green Bay is good. We know the Rams are good. Who's next below that? That kind of thing. Right. That's what I'm looking for in these first couple of weeks. Right. Um, and you look at what the Bucs did last year, winning their last eight games down the stretch, yeah. getting to win that Super Bowl. If you want a, a case in point of how different a team can be week one to the end of the year, the Bucs, you can argue, were not that great of a football team week one last year. They no. got blown out the doors by New Orleans that first yeah. game. You and can argue week 10 they weren't any good. Week, yeah, when they lost the second time, they got blown out at home and such. Yeah. And then you, you get to the end of the year, and no question they were the best team in football here. 
17-week regular season as well now. Um, don't read too much into what you see this uh, this first week. Uh, don't react. Yeah, I like to say it's the same thing. Like in fantasy football, we were joking in there in the draft. You can't win a fantasy league on the draft day. You don't win a championship week one. So if your team loses, if the let's say for instance, if the Chiefs were to lose to the Browns week one at home, does that mean the sky is falling? No, no, it doesn't. It just means that that was a matchup that they weren't ready ready for. You don't really know who you're playing a lot of these times. Yeah, I think that week one, I really think for the first four or five weeks, we're going to see some teams that just don't, we don't know who they are yet. That's why it's hard to pick games. Mm-hmm. You know, like we saw this in college last week. That's why we went four and six. I mean, <laughs> it was because we don't really know who anybody is. Right. Fade our, our picks, folks, if you're, uh, if you're a betting man. <laughs> this week for sure, because we don't know who any of these teams are. I mean, we, again, we have a pretty good idea. Kansas City's good. Cleveland's yeah. good. Um, you know, Green Bay is good. We think the Rams are really good. We, you and I both like the Seahawks a lot. You know, I also think that the, the Titans are really good. But some people are fading the Titans because they don't think their offensive line is very good. Mm-hmm. Their defense isn't very good. But I, I like the Titans. So there's things like that. I mean, I don't know. I think we're going to know a lot more in a few weeks than we do right now. We, uh, we went over some award predictions last week and such. Yeah. But there, there was one – thing that I, I want to look at that uh, uh overall and, and this is not an award of some sorts but when you look at improvement or maybe a breakout of some sorts if you had to give me a name who's going to be either a most improved or a breakout guy this year in 2021 um you know who I think it is I think it's Joe Burrow I think it's Joe Burrow I think that but he wasn't bad last year, though. No, he wasn't, but he got hurt. And, and, they, and they're going to be better offensively this year. They're going to be a hard offense to stop in a few weeks. That thing's loaded with, with players. You look at the offense with um, Tyler Boyd. They've got uh, Jamar Chase now, uh, T. Higgins. And then you get Joe Mixon in the backfield. I mean, that's going to be a tough offense to stop. Um, I think they're going to the playoffs. I think they're like that last team that squeaks in. Um, I, I think that that's a team and a player to look at. I don't like their defense hardly at all, but I like their offense a lot. Um, he's a player I would look at that I think is going to be an ascending player. Um, I don't I'm like their really, head coach. I don't think Zach Taylor is that guy. It, you may be right. You may be right. I mean, I don't have any faith in the organization. I'll say that. I mean, I mean they've never done anything that makes me earn that. That's earn that. Uh, the other one I'm kind of worried. I'm looking at is Tua. Tua. What's going to happen with Tua? Because how Tua goes, the Dolphins are going to go. They have a chance to be an ascending team, to be a playoff team, and to be a team that really could do some damage. We talked last season about this. I think they're one of the best all-around rosters in the league. They've just got a lot of faith in a young quarterback, and if he plays well, they're going to be really good. Yeah, I remember when you tried to tell me the Raiders were better than the Dolphins last year. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But well, I don't have any faith in the Raiders right now because their their franchise, their their roster has gotten worse, right. progressively worse. Now and with the Dolphins, now a quarterback who's descending instead of ascending. Now with the Dolphins, the division. Real quick, um, you know, last year after the first four games when Fitzmagic played well, they bring into it and he started the rest of the year. 
but they benched him a couple times and used Fitzmagic as like a relief pitcher almost. Yeah. And he saved a couple wins, whatever. And ultimately that was the difference in them making the postseason and not. Now you don't have a proven backup of sorts there in Miami anymore. Now they've kind of taken the training wheels off. And yeah. Bo, I love that because I, I hated the way that they didn't let Tua play through bad situations. You got to let your young quarterback play through his mis- mistakes yeah. and such. They have to just let Tua do his thing and, and, and unleash at this point. Let, he, yeah. let Tua be Tua. Yeah, a lot of people have given in the offseason have given the Dolphins a lot of bad press about how how they treated that quarterback position last year, and there's and, and rightfully so probably, but at the same time, they've made a commitment. This is their guy, and good or bad or indifferent, this is the guy, and they're going to go with it. And I think they have to go with him right now, because if it doesn't work, then now they know, and they're still young enough a team that they can make some decisions for 2022. Um, that to me will be interesting to see, but you, know, you have to take the training wheels off and let, let the quarterback be the quarterback. Yeah. Um, that the other thing you were asking about things I'm looking forward to seeing and seeing what's going to happen. I want to see who's going to be the worst team in the league. I think it's the Houston Texans. They're benching Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I wonder if it's the Texans or I wonder if it's the Eagles. And I think the Jets will still be up there. I think the Jets will be up there too. Yeah, and I and I think the Jacksonville will be up there. I think he has no clue what he's doing. So I think there's those four teams. I want to see which one's the worst. The Texans, it's almost like um, you know all the issues off the field with uh, Deshaun Watson and then the the problems they had with ownership and the, uh, the the general manager beforehand. That all happened before Deshaun Watson. We forgot all about that, and nobody wants to play for that guy. And then. We just have three really bad teams that are basically punting this season. Really, those four teams are all punting this season. They're just We've, saying, okay, we know we're going to be bad. We're going to have, you know, less than four wins. Let's just get through this and get to 2022. In the case of Houston, uh, this is, was a team that several months ago, before the investigations and all that made it known, they weren't interested in trading, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson. And now he's still there. They're benching him, uh, and he's still not suspended or anything by the league of some sorts. It, this Are they sending a message that they're tanking, like, from the jump with this? I mean, what's the deal here with Houston and this decision to go with Terod Taylor right away, and, and well, even with Deshaun on the active roster? Clearly they know more than we do about the, about the situation with Deshaun Watson, okay? I mean, they have to know more than we do. I mean, like, uh, this isn't college football where if they play him, they could be penalized later for playing him. No. No, I agree. Um, I mean, personally, I think I would play him. There's a lot of backlash of this. Um, the press, what's been out there is none of it's good. None of it can be spinned into a good way. Um, this is a guy that should have just cut a shit of the checks this past summer and gotten through this. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Deshaun Watson and the Texans can come back from this. And they have to figure out a, a way to mutually separate from here. The Texans as a franchise are in a lot of trouble. I mean, that's their, their one player that when you got into the end of the season last year, you can say, well, we can build around this centerpiece. And now they can't even build around that. And, and I like Tyrod Taylor. I think he's a heck of a ball player. 
He's a guy who can get you a good team with Tyrod Taylor can finish in the middle of the pack. A bad team with Tyrod Taylor can win a couple more games than you would think. But I think there's a lot to put on him. I'm glad he's going to go over and get some checks and get paid. But I don't know what that franchise is doing. And they have – that starts at the top. That starts all the way to the ownership, management, and then on down. Nobody wants to play there is the biggest problem. At least with, like, Jacksonville and the Jets, people would be willing to go. You'd go to the Jets because it's in New York and it's a big media market. You go to Jacksonville because they'll overpay you. you know, who's the other thing we're thinking about in that group? The, the Eagles. You'd go to the Eagles because it's Philly. You know, again, it's a big market. You're going to be, you know, a, people are going to see you. You right. can showcase a little bit. But I, I, the Texans are in trouble. I think they're going to be one of the worst two or three teams. Yeah. Yeah. And it's back at the bottom. That kind of, to me, I think that's, I don't think it's fun to look at, but it's interesting to see how we have these teams that are perpetually really good. We talked about the Seahawks a minute ago. And then we have these teams that are perpetually bad and how a couple of these teams put themselves in. That's what the Texans just did. You know, uh, to Rod Taylor, the guys he's been replaced with his last two stops, you know, uh, with the Chargers, Justin Herbert, and then uh, with Cleveland, Baker Mayfield. Uh, I would like to be the first to congratulate rookie quarterback uh, Davis Mills on being a, a future Pro Bowl quarterback. <laughs> it's not bad, yeah. I- you know, and Justin Herbert's another one of those stories. I want to see what that Chargers team's going to look like. They're going to be, they're going to be good. That division got a little tougher. Uh, I think that Chargers. I don't think the Chargers are going to. I think the Chiefs are going to win the division, but the Chargers are not playing around. They're going to be better. Yeah. Um, how about uh, the Cowboys? Hard Knocks just wrapped up. We talked about how we don't feel good about them going into tonight's game against the Bucks. But um, as bad as Hard Knocks was. Uh, I will say it looks pretty clear that Dak's healthy, right? Yeah, I think Dak's healthy. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, was it three weeks ago? Adam Schefter said Dak was going to be out till week five, and then Dexter flinging it in the preseason now. Um, you know, Dak's healthy; he's going to play. Um, I tell you, my takeaway from the last episode of Hard Knocks was obviously that they, um, the, the people who script that show, because you know there are parts that are scripted, obviously. Obviously knew what they had. That little kid was the best part. And so they got to get him and Dak together. That was kind of cute. Putting them in the ice cream parlor together. Yeah. Um, that was, that was cool. I like, I don't think you haven't seen it yet. You said he uh, asked Dak Prescott, are you Patrick Mahomes? So when Dak, the the meme. To him, he, he said, he puts on the Jersey. I'm not Patrick. Mahomes. <laughs> oh, um, that was the, I tell you what I got away from that, and I kind of saw this week one. I didn't see it again till the end. Dak Prescott is a franchise player. He he understands his role. He understands that he has to be the face of a really um, a really high value and a really highly looked at team. And he has to he understands his role that he has to hold himself to a higher standard than everybody else in that locker room. Right. You see it with the interactions with Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. I mean, Zeke's a freak. That dude's an athletic freak and a great, and a great young player. And, and for all accounts, a good, good young man. But he still kind of behaves like a kid. And you can see where Dak's like, yeah, I can't behave like that. I'm the QB. Right. And I right. think that Dak Prescott, to me, came off really well. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's a, I think he's a good ball player. And I think that 
Dallas did the absolute right thing, giving him a contract. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, let's talk college football real quick. Week one in the books. What did you take away from week one? Uh, a few things. We still don't know who teams are. Um, you know, and we Alabama's know Alabama's good. We know Alabama's good. Yeah, that made me think twice about a couple of things. Man, Alabama is just rolling. Um, I mean, we thought they'd beat Miami. I didn't think they would just murder Miami. Uh, that looked like a car crash. Um, you know, Clemson's not as good as you thought Clemson was, which uh, I kind of told you that. Um, I think I that, think Georgia I think, to cover. I'll slow down here. <laughs> yeah, but Georgia won, and Georgia outplayed them the entire time. Too. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that game wasn't as close as the score indicated. Um, I'll tell you my one takeaway was um, I'm not particularly a big fan of the school. I know you are. You're an OU guy. Um, I watched that OU Tulane game, and I got to tell you, uh, my hat's off to both OU and Tulane. And you know the story that their game was supposed to be played in New Orleans. You were going to go to that game. Mm-hmm. And the game got moved to Oklahoma. So first off, everybody in Oklahoma – really took good care of Tulane and the, and the people and all that good stuff. Um, and then they went out there and managed to kick Tulane's ass for about two and a half quarters. And then a switch got flipped and Tulane outplayed Oklahoma in the second half. And I just, my hat was up. I've said it on, I'm going to, you'll see it on the podcast, my podcast this week. My hat's off to Willie Fritz. I thought he was fantastic what he did at Tulane. Um, that team had to take those kids away from a hurricane. They weren't sure their families were going to go and everything else. And then to go play at Oklahoma in front of Oklahoma's fans and a damn near pull off an upset, a really a big time comeback upset. I think I spoke highly to those quality of kids. That was my biggest takeaway of the week. That, and then I think we got some teams that really got to go back to the drawing board, including my LSU Tigers. Yeah. Well, in, in the case of Oklahoma, I want to look at that just for a second here. Um, for the last several years, it's been, okay, Oklahoma gets out to these big leads. The offense looks great. And then they let off the gas in the second half. The defense gives up points and games are closer than they should be. That's been a consistent theme for Oklahoma. That's exactly what we saw on Saturday. And we were told, Hey, this defense is, is elite. This is the best defense Lincoln Riley's ever had. Da, 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 da. And it was the same song in about the 15th verse again for Oklahoma here. Bo, um, when you look at that with Oklahoma, with doing that again, we, we, we mentioned we don't know who these teams are. Do you think that Oklahoma defense will turn it around or did we find out who they really are? No, I think they, they're going to turn it around. I think they're going to see – we're going to see – don't overreact to it. I think they just played an inspired team. I think a team that came out there in the second half of that game, you know, wearing the green jerseys, they were very inspired. They wanted to get back in that game. They wanted to play hard. And really their coach made a flub late in the game going for two too early. On a 12-point game, he went for two instead of going for one, keeping it, you know, as he chased the two. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Oklahoma will improve. I don't think they really knew what was coming to them. And they built that big lead. It is hard to play defense when you got a big lead. And then, you know, come out in the second half, Oklahoma slowed down offensively. And even in the fourth quarter, Oklahoma's offense slowed down. They didn't really know how to get just first downs. Mm-hmm. And that's a week one thing. That's 
it's going to take some experience. That sometimes you, you're not playing. I think it's a, more of an indictment on the Big 12 and how they kind of play their game. You notice that teams in the Big 12, as a whole, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody, but they can throw up 40 points in the game, but if they need two first downs, they can't get two first downs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, the, it's been the direct opposite in the SEC where yeah, they may not score 40, but when they need two first downs to put the game away, they can't. And that's, you know, I don't know if that's better teams. I don't think that is. I think it's more philosophies and just playing wide open offenses. That's the problem with having wide open offenses. You're four wide all the time. How do you run the football? Yeah. You know, uh, there's a couple of teams in the college ranks that, that played games this past week that I was very um, underwhelmed by. Mm-hmm. And that was, and I had to go back and look. I, I remember saying it on my pod that it was, I know LSU was one of them. Uh, North Carolina was one of them. Cool. Very underwhelming performance by both of those two teams. Yeah. Well, and uh, one more thing on the Big 12 front. Uh, sounds like that Cincinnati, Central Florida, BYU, uh, and Houston are going to be members of the Big 12 yeah. uh, in 2023 officially on Friday. Um, with, with that being said, and other than UCLA last week, the Pac-12 looks so bad from top to bottom. Is there potential for this new Big 12 to be better than the current Pac-12 as is? I don't. I think once you get past the SEC, the other conferences are pretty much the same. I think the Big Ten's better than all the rest of them. Um, and, Macy, and, that, and that's because of Ohio State more than anything. Ohio State and Penn State. Um, I don't really I Big 12, the Pac 12, the ACC, you know, they're all kind of the same level, if you ask me. Um, you know, if I had to choose one that I'd rather be in, I'd rather be in the Pac 12. It's because of the nature of the big um the bigger market shares. You're in California, that kind of stuff. But I I don't know there's a difference. And I don't know that. UCF and BYU and Cincinnati and who's the fourth? Uh, Houston. Houston. Yeah, Houston might be the best of the four, uh, football-wise. Um, I don't know that that's going to elevate that front. That that's the Big Twelve. I mean, they've lost OU in Texas. I mean, that's. I mean, Houston becomes a, a basically a Texas replacement. Not quite as storied, but actually probably better on the field in those sports, and then. OU is a consistent winner in every sport. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be tough to replace. I guess BYU is that in a way. Right. I don't know. I, I think the, the way I would look at a conference was the bottom of the conference. Apart. Kansas. You know, and, you know, I mean, Kansas has got to play better than football. You know, yeah, you say that, but then the SEC has Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Right. Yeah. So, so. Um, one more for you. Week two, college football. Uh, we, we talked about some of the games. What are you looking forward to most? Oh, I have a look here. Give me a half a second here. Look at schedules. Um, probably that Ohio State Oregon game. Um, let's see. That one, I think. Nothing else really screams off the page. Usually week two, if you had that really tough week one game, you know, where like you go, you're Miami, you go play, no, you go play um, Alabama, you're usually going to go play somebody really easy the second week. So 
nothing really jumps off the screen at me. I think the game that we picked it earlier, um, the Oregon Ohio State game, and then I think Iowa Iowa State that'd be interesting and fun to watch. I think I'll probably watch both of those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this week two and then really week three will be those last two weeks of the non-con games. And if you had your tough game, it's already out of the way. Mm-hmm. So you won't see big, big matchups unless they're conference games moving forward. Yeah. Bo, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us as always. O'Connor yeah, Advisory Group.com, OAGKS.com for more on O'Connor Advisory Group. Real quick, what's coming up on uh, the Coach Bo Show? A uh, new episode on Friday, then we got another one Monday too. Uh, Friday, we are going to uh, the, the 2.5 pod. We will have uh, the fantasy football draft. And then I've got a few comments on what's going on in sports. Um, and then 3.0 will be out next week, and we're still working on something there. I don't want to spoil anything yet, so we'll uh, we'll have a good interview for next week as well. Awesome stuff. Bo, appreciate the time as always. We'll talk to you Thanks, next Tom. week. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week. Take care. A couple more things before we wrap up on the Jones Report today. We are going to get to our Tom Fullery story of the week in just a bit, but – before we do, we want to continue the NFL discussion. Thomas Bridges rejoins me now, and he's got his picks for this week. You heard Bo and I give our picks earlier. So, Tom, I'll give you the floor now. Go ahead and run down who you got this week after uh, – we weren't so hot last week. None of us did good. You were, what, about four and six in your picks mm-hmm. last week? What are you going to do this week? I'm hoping I'm, I'm getting at least 500 this week, and, and starting out, we'll go – Oregon, Ohio State, I think that spread's too high, so I'm going to take Oregon. Iowa, Iowa State, we talked about a lot of this before. I'm going to go ahead and intake the Cyclones here, and we'll see what happens. Texas, Arkansas, Texas is going to handle business uh, there. Utah, BYU, I think the Utes beat the Mormons. I think at at worst this is a push. Washington versus Michigan. Uh, I'm going to give Michigan the, the, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'll see how they do this this week so i'll take the wolverines and then nfl wise cowboys bucks no zach martin for cowboys bucks got a hell of a defense i like the buccaneers here to continue on their race for a second consecutive super bowl uh chiefs browns i like the chiefs coming out but this is going to be a good matchup i'll take chiefs by seven packers saints in jacksonville no Michael Thomas for Jameis Winston. I like the Packers here starting off the season. Bears, Rams. Uh, seven and a half is too much for to, to give my team the Rams. Um, I think the Rams win by six or seven, but not more than seven. I'll take the Bears there. I'm probably shocking, I know. Seahawks, Colts. Colts are in shambles right now in terms of who's going to be do what. Carson Wentz has got that foot injury. I'll take the Seahawks to win by more than two and a half. I'm shocked you're picking against your own team, especially going up against Andy Dalton. I think the Rams are going to have their way with Andy Dalton. uh, I hope you're right. With uh, Aaron Donald and company. Knock knock on wood, Sean McVay's never lost a season opener. Do you think we see, while we're on the topic of that game real quick, do you think we're going to see Justin Fields at all this game? Yeah, after Andy Dalton gets his ass eaten by Aaron Donald, probably (laughs) so. That or if the Bears just get – down the left side of them then I don't know I, you know if the Rams come out and play a hot game maybe they put in Justin Fields just to see what happens I don't know if it's close I think they'll keep Andy Dalton in but like I said I'm uh, Rams they're kind of like Iowa State um I don't know how hot they're going to start off I'm Jones I don't know how interested you are in this but I'm I'll be 
dead front and center of the TV come Sunday night. I'm ready to see Matthew Stafford suit up for the Rams. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about intriguing storylines going into 2021, one of the most sneaky ones of sorts, I think, is Matt Stafford there with the L.A. Rams because now we get to find out basically the answer to two different questions. One question being, is Matt Stafford an elite quarterback? Was it the Detroit Lions holding him back, or is that who he really is? We're also going to get the answer of, okay, can Sean McVay get elite quarterback play uh, from a a guy not named Jared Goff? Or is that kind of how the system that he's built set up? Can things go up another notch here? We're going to find out a lot this season about both Matt Stafford and about Sean McVay. And I think we're going to find out pretty fast some questions that we've wondered about both of them really for the last several years. You know, and, and if it, if it's a win-win for the Rams in that format or in that sense of things, in terms of Matt Stafford's actually super elite and McVay knows what to do with him, uh, then I can see greatest show on turf coming back on St. Louis, LA this time. You have Cooper Cup. You have Robert Woods. You got a speedster in Deshaun Jackson. You also have a speedster in rookie Tutu Adwell from Louisville. If you got a chance to watch any of him last year for Louisville, he took a couple punt returns to the house, um, and he's he's super fast. Um, and and just so many other pieces. You know, the only thing I think we're lacking, say we Rams, my team, um, is maybe the running backs. That'll be a question. You know, I I don't know if you got Henderson in your fantasy leagues or anybody that does, but. I think I could see Henderson and Sony Michelle splitting some time, um, kind of like last year, Jones. I feel like maybe you were talking to me about it last year. Somebody was, and Rams are very running back by committee. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes or if they just straight up go for the air raid offense and attack teams like the Big 12 usually does. Yeah. Uh, earlier in the show, when we had Brian Baldinger on, you all heard me give my Super Bowl pick. I like the Chiefs to get there to take on the L.A. Rams. I think these are the two most complete football teams. And, yes, there's some concerns about the Rams running game. I get that with losing Cam Akers. But look at the Kansas City Chiefs just a couple years ago when they lost Kareem Hunt. And they turned to Damian Williams and Daryl Williams. And then, you know, last year, Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Elaire. It hasn't mattered. Patrick Mahomes found a way to make it work no matter who his running backs were. And if anything, they just threw the football more. I think the same can be said for the LA Rams. Yes, uh, Todd Gurley is long gone now and Cam Akers is injured and you've had this running back by committee. I mean, Sonny Michelle was a huge reason why the Patriots won the Super Bowl just a couple of years ago. He can be a productive running back. Henderson can be as well. I have Uh, No problems with the Rams running game. That defense is is great with the playmakers they have with Donald and Ramsey. Um, I think these are two of the most talented teams in the NFL for very similar reasons between Kansas City and the Rams. That's ultimately why I have them in the Super Bowl. Two great offensive minds and Andy Reid and Sean McVay, probably the two best offensive minds in the league. I got the Chiefs winning it all. Um, but I do think that those two teams are the ones on top. Where I look at, though, going into 2021, the paths to get there, the AFC is so much stronger than the NFC. This reminds me of 
the days of the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference in the NBA when there was such a big gap. And there is a gap now, but not nearly as big as it used to be. And it feels like the AFC, when you mention the Chiefs, the Browns, the Titans, the Bills, the Ravens, uh, Miami, uh, you go on down the line, whatever, there's a lot of good teams, a lot of teams capable of getting to the AFC championship game. When you look at the NFC, it's the Bucks, it's the Rams, it's the Packers, and then there's a drop-off from there. Maybe Seattle gets in that bunch. Maybe New Orleans, but a lot of pretenders of some sorts. Um, I like the Chiefs and the Rams to meet, but I like the Rams' path to get there a lot easier than I do the Chiefs' path to get there, Tom. Yeah, I think I think I can agree with you. I think it's really, you know, when it comes down to it, it'll be interesting to see what Aaron Rodgers does and what could potentially be his final year in Green Bay. Um, be really interested to see that actually. But you know, I think I, I think that the Saints regress. I don't think a Jameis Winston led team is gonna take you. Unless you, you know, you, you you're in that division. You could get a wild card spot behind Tampa Bay. Um, you know, if I'm going to give a wild card spot out, it's probably going to be one at least one of the Saints. Because Carolina's not going to be there yet. Uh, Atlanta's damn sure not going to be there. Um, and then, you know, probably your other wild cards, probably the Vikings. Um, and then you, you could throw in Seattle, too, as in that extra spot. So, I mean, the NFC for the Rams or the, and or the Bucks, it's Rams, Bucks, Packers. Um, nobody from the NFC West is going to do anything. They're going to get a spot, obviously, unfortunately. So you could say Dallas, you know, so you got LA, Buccaneers, Dallas, Vikings, Packers, Saints, Seattle. Is that, that there's your seven? You know, it's, yeah, the Rams do have an easier path to get there. I like, you know, I don't like taking my own team because superstitious, you know, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious. Um, so I'll say the Bucks Chiefs rematch is how I'm going to do this. You, you mentioned Chiefs have a tough road. If not the Chiefs, if not the Chiefs, I would like to see the Titans or the Bills get in, and and for opposite reasons to to make it a little bit interesting, I will say Bills Bucks Super Bowl. That's a good pick, and it very well could happen. The Bills did get to the AFC Championship game a year ago. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs last year, one of the things that we talked about with this team throughout the year was they were having all these close calls, right? Uh, games that were we were thinking, okay, they're just not showing their cards, um, that, you know, th this team is, uh, is holding back for the postseason. And then we got to the Super Bowl and we're, we saw, okay, well – Maybe they weren't really holding back after all. They kind of who they were. They kind of got exposed of some sorts. Uh, you know, the, the, the Chiefs last year, that offensive line, when they were without Mitchell Schwartz for most of last year and Eric Fisher for the you know, latter part of the year as well, uh, dealt with their issues. They took their lumps uh, throughout the way, and I think that was a big reason why we saw all those close games was the injuries of that offensive line never being healthy. Now you bring in Orlando Brown, who you heard Brian Baldinger talk about earlier in the show, how high he was on, on Zeus and bringing in Creed Humphrey and you know some of these other guys. Now the Chiefs have rebuilt that entire offensive line here. 
I think, Tom, that yes, things are going to be tough. You have a lot of good teams in the AFC, but with the Chiefs still holding on to who they were on offense and defense, with Patrick Mahomes leading the way on one side, Tyron Matthew leading things on the other, and your glaring weakness, your offensive line has been fixed in a snap of a finger just like that. I think now we start to see, okay, those three-point wins the Chiefs had, those go back to 10-point wins. And it's not that the AFC isn't bad by any means. you got really good teams in Buffalo, Baltimore, Tennessee, uh, you know, who, who we just mentioned, you know, Cleveland and such. But I think those games now – the Chiefs start to take more control than they had last year. I think the Chiefs are about in a 17-game schedule, about a 15 and 2 team. I think the Rams are probably about a 14 and 3 or 13 and 4 team. I think that's what we're trying to, we're kind of looking at here as far as uh, records go. And I think both those teams will be the number one seeds going into the playoffs there. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on. You know, I could I could see the Rams being number one seed and and still end up faltering and and uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Buccaneers do and we'll find out tomorrow night. Uh, you know how that, you know, if they remain consistent and and what they were able to do in the latter part of last year, or if they kind of regress maybe to how they were in the first part of last year. I think that that'll set a tone for the season if if they can continue on what. They did in the latter half of the season last year. I, I think Buccaneers are going to be a real force to be messed with. Um, you know, they essentially bring back everybody too. So, um, but you know, in all around, I, I think you're pretty spot on. The extra game, I'm interested to see how the extra game changes anything. Um, if it does, if it even matters, if we get there and everyone's playing, you know, the the definite playoff teams are just playing their their backups. I mean, I think the Rams play the Ravens and maybe the second to last game, or, you know, maybe the, maybe it is the last, maybe they play the Seahawks in the last game, but I think second to last game Rams go to Baltimore. If, if both teams are yeah, already the, locked in for the playoffs, how much does the Rams matter? wrap up with the uh, 49ers? The NFL is 49ers. still keeping the uh, whole concept of uh, playing divisional opponents the last week. Right. Is that going to matter? I mean, is it going to change too much if the top teams, you know, you know, already have locked in playoff spots? Essentially, week 17 becomes week 18 where everyone just plays their, you know, their their second string. Uh, that'll be that's another thing to watch this year, I, I think. And I think don't think enough people are talking about it. How much does the 18th game really affect? You know, what does that even do? Right. Right. Especially when it comes to injuries and such like that. Um you know, the, it's going to be fascinating to see ultimately how this all plays out. We we spent some time with Bo breaking down these uh, week one matchups and such. But um, what what stands out to you? What are you most intrigued to see when it comes week one of these games here, Tom? I mean, um, I was intrigued with Bucks Cowboys initially, but then Zach Martin going down, as we've talked about. I don't think this game's going to be close. I've kind of lost interest in that one. I mean, obviously I'll watch. It's the first game of the year, but I don't think that's going to be close. I would have said that a couple of weeks ago, but now I'm looking at it. It's all about the Chiefs and Browns to me, Tom. This one, um, Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes, we've seen them play some classic games over the years. Chad Henney ended up saving the day last year when Mahomes went down and such. 
to me, that is the game that I have circled that I got to see is that uh, Chiefs-Browns game. What say you? Yeah, I was going to say Chiefs-Browns as well. I'm ready to see the new-look Browns defense. And, and, you know, I think this is – this is I don't know if it's make or break here for Baker Mayfield this year, um, but it, it feels like that. I think the, the Browns have to take that next step. You know, they've they've done a good job. They did a good job last year of, of taking that step. Now they have to take another one, I think. Um, and I think you have to thrust yourself up there among the uh, among the teams like the Chiefs, the Bills, the Titans, uh, and the Ravens. I think you have to, you know, kind of push somebody out of that top four in the AFC. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they can do it. Uh, but Ravens, Ravens, Browns this year is going to be salty. Yeah, let's uh, let's give some picks uh, as far as awards go when it's all said and done. Uh, give me your, Tom, your MVP, your defensive player of the year, rookie of the year, and then most improved player. Uh, I don't like the whole comeback player of the year award because uh, typically they've given that to guys that were never good to begin with and had a breakout year. That's not a comeback. That's a breakout. Um to give you time to think, I'll go ahead and give mine first. My MVP, uh, I'm never going to pick against Patrick Mahomes to be MVP. Um, I think Mahomes is going to have a big year. We know that he's healthy now coming off the foot injury that he suffered in that game against the Browns and such. We know the offensive line is better. Mahomes is going to have a big year. I think that's an easy call to make for, uh, for MVP there. But if you're going to make me say, okay, Tyler, Mahomes, that's a given. What about after that? I think Josh Allen is going to have another big year as well. Look out for Josh Allen and look out for Baker Mayfield. Those are kind of my top three to be the MVP candidates. Uh, But Mahomes is my guy there. Defensive player of the year. Aaron Donald has owned this award last year, but there's the, the last few years. But last year when he won it, he shouldn't even have won it last year. The wrong guy uh, won the award. And that's not an, uh, a knock on uh, Aaron Donald, but there was a guy that that played better than him, that put up better numbers, and I think is still entering his prime. He's got some great football ahead. I got to go T.J. Watt to be Defensive Player of the Year. I think when you look at this Steeler defense, with him, Mika Fitzpatrick, some of these guys there, the Steelers have one of the best defenses in the NFL. We're entering 2021 with questions about the quarterback position with Big Ben, how much he can go, how good is he at this point in his career. This Steeler defense is going to take this team pretty far. The defense is not going to be the issue. T.J. Watt's going to be good. It's going to be that offense that we have concerns about, in particular that quarterback position, uh, to see how far the Steelers can go uh, on that front. It's going to be dependent on there. I'm not worried about T.J. Watt. I think T.J. is going to have an excellent year. Uh, Rookie of the year. I'm going to stay in Pittsburgh for this one. A lot of folks are going with some quarterbacks, um, you know, when, when you talk about whether it's Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, whatever, if, I, if I'm looking at, at a betting perspective to get some value and kind of a safe bet of some sorts, when we mentioned with the Steelers a second ago that they have problems with their quarterback with Big Ben, they're going to be dependent on running the football. And Najee Harris is going to get a workload. The Steelers – have wanted to run the football the last few years, have not been able to do it. Now you bring in a proven back who was great at Alabama, Najee Harris. We, the emphasis is there. If the Steelers are going to be 
contending in January. If they're going to be there, they're going to have to be a run first team. They're going to rely on Najee Harris a lot. I think he's my rookie of the year bet in this case. Although there's probably a higher ceiling for those quarterbacks, I think this is your safer pick because you know he's going to play week one and you know the Steelers are going to run the football a lot. I'll go with Najee Harris there. The most improved player this year who's going to take that big step up, I think it's Jameis Winston. Um, You get him out of that Bruce Arian system uh, there in Tampa where he was throwing the ball way too much uh, when it came to, you know, down the field and the interceptions. He's not going to throw 30 interceptions. Um, We saw what Jameis was capable of at Florida State. He's still a terrific talent. He looked good in the preseason. He's got a great coach. He's working under Sean Payton. He's got some weapons like Michael Thomas, who I know is out week one and such. But I think Jameis is going to have a really good year, maybe even a Pro Bowl year for Jameis Winston in 2021. He's my most improved player. So my MVP is Mahomes. My defensive player of the year is T.J. Watt. Rookie of the year, Najee Harris. My most improved is Jameis Winston. Tom, give me your four there. Um, Jones probably Mahomes probably MVP. It is a dark horse. I'm going to say Matt Stafford. I think he has a lot to prove him being outside of Detroit, and so I think I could see, I think I could see Stafford, you know, coming into his own even more so, in in having a, a, a MVP caliber year if that goes well there. But I'll take Mahomes defensive player of the year. I agree with you. I think it's either got to be Aaron Donald or or um, T.J. Watt. Uh, I'd be shocked if it was either or. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if it was either or. Um, in terms of rookie of the year, um, I will go Jerry Judy. I think I think Judy's going to have a strong second or, – or not – I guess not – sorry, not rookie of the year, most improved player of the year, sorry. Jerry Judy, I think I like for most improved player, rookie of the year. Um, you said Najee Harris, and he was one of my picks that I could see winning it. But for what it's worth in, in terms of how we usually see rookie of the year play out, I think if even if Trevor Lawrence has a solid year or, you know, anything, it may, may not phenomenal year, but if he puts up good numbers and looks all around solid for Jacksonville, I, I'd be hard pressed not to say Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, uh, I, I could see that. Um, and when you look at it there in uh, Jacksonville, they're going to be throwing the football a lot. I mean, the opportunities are going to be there for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, just a matter of if he can execute and put it together. But so there you have it. That's kind of our picks for the season going over our uh, Super Bowl picks and our awards for 2021. Should be a fascinating year. I'm excited about it uh, as we get this NFL season finally underway. Fans are back. Uh, all get started tonight with the uh, Bucks and the Cowboys. Should be a lot of fun on that front. We got a little bit of time left before we wrap up today's show. So let's go ahead and get to our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, we're actually not going very far at all for this week's Tom Fullery story. Sometimes we travel all around the world for this, but this one is actually right within my own backyard. Jones, we are staying in Omaha. This is coming from the Omaha World Herald. Um, and this was a, a few days ago, but um, still Tom Fullery nonetheless. Um, headline reads, Omaha man stabs himself in the leg while driving, holding knife, and eating Taco Bell. 
Jones traffic safety officials always say you shouldn't drive while distracted. More specifically, you shouldn't drive while talking to your friend on the phone, eating Taco Bell, and holding a knife. Unfortunately, a 39-year-old Omaha man did that Thursday and inadvertently stabbed himself in the leg. The man had picked up some food at Taco Bell near 38th and Dodge Streets just before 2 a.m. Jones, you've been in that Taco Bell? I have. Uh, I love Taco Bell. Uh, my thing with Taco Bell, Tom, is as good and cheap as it is, after I get done eating it, I feel like I just hate myself. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I actually ate, ate Taco Bell for the first time in, I think, over nine or ten months um, a couple of weeks ago. And I woke up and I just was like, why did you do that? And so I bet it'll be another ten months before I eat Taco Bell again. Um, and if it's making people stab him and stab him, well, he said inadvertently stab himself in the leg. But even if Taco Bell could make you inadvertently stab yourself in the leg, I'm done eating it. Uh, anyway, that was just before 2 a.m. on Thursday and was on his way to give some of that Taco Bell to his girlfriend, according to a police report. As he was eating and driving, he later told police he was talking to a friend via Bluetooth speaker and looking at a knife that his friend gave him. He then drove through a large pothole or hit a bump on the road. The jolt made him accidentally stab his right thigh with the knife. The police report said the man was left with a one to one and a half inch deep puncture wound in the top right thigh. Ouch. The man then headed to the nearby Nebraska Medical Center where he was waved, where he waved down security officers and asked where the emergency room was. Jones, I, you know, for one, they say don't run with scissors. Don't drive with a knife in your hand. What is wrong with you? Like, who does that? Uh, you know, while eating Taco Bell. You know, and I'm, I'm, the only thing you could eat while driving Taco Bell that wouldn't necessarily get messy is the Crunchwrap Supreme. Uh, right. And if it's not that, don't do it. Well, if you got a knife in one hand and Taco Bell with the other, how are you supposed to drive anyway? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, with your knee, I'm guessing it's probably why I had his legs up maybe to stab himself um how are you know you mentioned you hit a pothole jones how are the roads in omaha the roads in omaha are pretty bad uh not gonna lie uh, that was one of the things that came up when i was looking at moving here and such that people warned me about was that there's potholes everywhere and that the people of omaha don't know how to drive and they especially don't know how to use the passing lanes so i'm not surprised that this guy hit a pothole in suicide Right, see, but see, if you know that, then why, why in the world would you drive with the knife in your hand? I mean, now nobody, you know, doesn't think that, oh, I'm going to stab myself in the leg. But this man doesn't just, it wasn't just a nick wound. Uh, you know, it was a, a one inch to one and a half inch deep. I and mean, that's, that's in there. Um, just, it rattles my brain, I, I you know. I wonder if they, obviously, they didn't say he was drinking and driving or anything, but right after 2 a.m., I mean, who knows? Right? Anything's possible at that point. Right, yeah, it's it's definitely Tom Fullery. I, and, you know, I, you're in Omaha. I'd like to see if anything else comes of that story. Like, like, how big was this knife? How sharp was it? I mean, what are you driving around with a freaking machete? Um, like what? Like after 2 a.m., they didn't mention he was drinking. I'm sure they thought so though. Um, did he leave the knife in? 
you know, and I wonder if he's wearing shorts. Okay, sure, could have just punctured um, that, but still, very, very odd, very tomfoolery. It's almost a Florida man story in Omaha. A Nebraska man? You could probably do a whole segment of Nebraska man. Is it that crazy there? It can be. These people are unpredictable. Probably would have to be a mix of Nebraska and Iowa together, but it could be done. Nebraska and Iowa together. What a, a corn man was that point? Corn man? Uh, corn man. man. At the, there you go. There you go. That's, uh, you know, that's – I, I want to see a picture of the puncture room. Like, I want to see a picture of the knife. I felt I, like Omaha World Herald has left a, me a little lacking in terms of detail. I need more detail on this. Right? Like, why don't you reporters actually do your job and find out some more information? He's 39, talking to his girlfriend, driving around, holding a knife, eating Taco Bell. Uh, you know, honestly, in, in, that, in terms of that, it's probably not the worst thing that could have happened. You know, he said he hit a bump. What if he would have wrecked his car? Where, how far would that knife been in his leg? Why was he holding the knife? Why wasn't, okay, first, I have so many questions. First off, why are you carrying around a knife? And two, why are you holding it? If you have it on you, why is it not, you know, on the floor or in the passenger seat or something like that? And then, like, do you think the Taco Bell employee in the drive-thru saw him with a knife? I wonder what they were thinking. Yeah, well, at 2 a.m., I'm sure Taco Bell people have seen a lot of shit. Um, so maybe not the first time uh, there, but still, uh, still kind of like, okay, so, you know, what, what, what else do you got going on? If you're driving through Taco Bell at 2 a.m. with a knife um, and, and, you know, it hadn't been drinking, I, I think they had to give him a breathalyzer test at the hospital. There's no way they didn't. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a very drunk thing to do. Yes, no question about it. Um, Taco Bell, I love me some Taco Bell. And that 2 a.m. Taco Bell run, I got to tell you, I've done that a couple times here in Omaha. Those lines are long at 2 a.m. at Taco Bell. I mean, this guy, uh, you got to be committed if you're getting Taco Bell that late at night. Uh, Yeah, I used to be very committed in terms of Taco Bell. Um, and so now I am, I've, that part of my life is, uh, been put in the past. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something else. The, the knife in hand at the Taco Bell. Uh, I've always said it's more like Taco Hell. Uh, if you ask me, you know, as, as far as that goes. Um, but you know, sometimes it just hits, you know, it's just one of those foods that it feels right in the moment and you pay for it later. Yeah. I've paid for it many times. I know you have as well. It's just Tom Fullery all the way around. Man. Uh, yeah, just so many questions. We got to have a follow-up on this. Uh, you know, what the, what the girlfriend had to say about this, you know, how, how did she find out? Right, I'm sure, you know, he probably called her and said, well, you're not getting your Taco Bell to die. I ate it all in the hospital room after I stabbed myself. Yeah, yeah I would at that point. I would just say, you know what, that's, uh, that's uh, just how she goes. Uh, you know, numb the pain a little bit. I'm sure there's ingredients in Taco Bell that 
Every time I think of somebody stabbing themselves, Tom, I think about Ricky Bobby when he was in the hospital room and he was trying to say he was dead and everybody's like, no, Ricky, you're alive. Stop. Uh, (laughs) Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. And he stabs himself. That's how I think this probably went. Turns out, yeah, it turns out he's driving around a, a, a car that's wrapped like Ricky Bobby's. Right, with the, uh, the the tiger on the hood? Right, you're right, exactly. Wouldn't that be something? I got to see well, what kind of, they didn't even mention what kind of car he was driving. There were, there's a lot of, of, of plot holes in this. A, a lot of things that could be filled in that would make this more sense to this story. Call there's no way that this car... There's no way this car was younger than 1999. No, no, there's no way. It's probably like a 96 Buick Century. Right? Or like a, a, uh, like a 94 uh, Chevy uh, Suburban. It very well could be a Suburban. Something that's a, a gas sucker for sure. We mentioned uh, ethanol and all that. Uh, here's my unpopular Nebraska and Iowa opinion. I'm not a fan of ethanol. Not a fan of ethanol. You're ethanol-free gas guy? Uh, it drives up the cost of a corn too much. Are you a, are you a, a, a pro-corn fan? I love me some corn. Give me that, that corn like, cup. It sounds like you're in the right place. Now, I don't like canned corn, as weird as that sounds, or taking it off the cob. You got to give me the corn on the cob. Yeah, no, it can't be canned, and it can't be off the cob. Um, I'm, I'm not eating any corn unless it's on the cob. Or, you know, I, I did have this elote-type corn that was cut off the cob that was seasoned up and spiced up, and it was really good, but I would much rather have corn on the cob. And the best way to have corn is to put it on the grill. Yeah, that's that's the only way. Right? Put all that butter and that seasoning on there. Oh my! Now God. you're making me hungry. We're gonna eat some Taco Bell with some corn tonight. No, no, thank you. I'll pass on that. I wonder if in Nebraska and Iowa, if uh, you go through a Taco Bell drive-through, if you say I want some corn, some extra corn, if that's like the the password to get something else. I hope not. I, I, I'll let you, I'll leave you to figure that part out. Should I go in and be like, hey, I need some extra corn tonight? Let's see what happens. You might get stabbed in the leg. <laughs> on that note, I think it's a good time to get out of here on the uh, Jones Report today. NFL season, we got you all set for it. We'll break it down next week as uh, we'll have some games to recap and look forward to week two. Big thanks to Baldy, Brian Baldinger, for joining us on today's show. Give him a follow. Watch all his breakdowns. He's going to be all over it this weekend. As always, subscribe to the Jones Report, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. You can follow us on social media, uh, studio underscore soapbox on Twitter, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live forward slash Studio Soapbox. Instagram, uh, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. Instant Thomas, you can follow us there. And we will see you right back here next week for another edition of the Jones Report. For Thomas Bridges, 
Brian O'Connor, Brian Baldinger. I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.